All righty. I'll say it once. I'll say it again. Welcome back to another Out of the Rough Golf podcast. It's been a hot minute. Feel like I say that every time. Now we'll be, we'll we'll get more regular with this going forward. Quality over hey, quantity. Yeah, it's quality over quantity mm-hmm. in these parts mm-hmm. of the woods, and we fucking have a podcast when it's relevant and when people want to hear about it, and we reference that off of what we care about. So, with that being said, uh, this pod's going to be right after Riviera. Um, it's going to be a short Riviera recap, and then we're going to go into the full swing Netflix documentary recap um, and get everyone's take on that. But with that being said, I'm going to kick it to the kid to uh, start off the Riv recap. Yeah, for sure. I mean, before we jump right into it, we got two other folks on the pod as well. We've got recurring guests and, you know, I'm, I'm practically co-hosts at this point. I would point. say Ryan's uh, a co-host at this point. <laughs> Ryan and That's a high honor. I'm still, uh, I'm I mean, still clawing my way, trying to get... I mean, he's in, the dis- he's in the description of the podcast, so... I mean, there you go. Um yeah, so happy to be on the horn with you you three fellas to dive into what's probably the best regular PGA Tour event of the season. Um, Riv, best course on tour that's, you know, gone to regularly. Um, always seems to show out with a, a quality winner. Uh, we don't get too many people faking around there and coming out on top, which I think it's hard to not talk about Riv without starting with the the elephant or the the Spanish bull in the room, uh, Rom. I mean, Jesus Christ, does this guy look unstoppable right now? I mean, I'm eating my words because I was defending Rory against Rom, you know, offline maybe two weeks ago. But, I mean, he shut me the hell up. He looks insane. Yeah, he's playing not that it's, like, surprising to anyone, but just lights out right now. I mean, his – the start of 2023, like the stats for him are insane. Like, I mean, this tournament, obviously, um, I mean, he came out of the box with a 65, so you knew he was there for like day one. Um, But if you look at what he's done in seven tournaments in 2023, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing. Did I see he's lost to like 19 total people in his last nine starts? Like the dude is on a tear. I think it's kind of interesting. We talked all last year about like, man, if Rom could just find his putter, like he's just not getting it done. He's not getting it done. But like the whole time he was not getting it done, he was top five and top 10. And now we're seeing like truly incredible stuff from the guy. I mean, he is just killing it. Yeah. I mean, for since the beginning of the year, January 1st, Rom is 3.8 strokes gained on the year. The next closest person is or people is Scheffler and Homa at 3.1. After that, it's 2.8 for Jason Day, kid, eh, eh, eh. and uh, Colin Morikawa. And then after that, it's Christian Kirk with 2.4, Finau 2.3, Xander 2.2, Cantley 2.1, Rose, Rory, Zalatoris 2. So he's got a almost full stroke on the next closest two people to him, which is pretty wild. Yeah. And it's crazy. I don't even think he had his like a game, a game 
this week. I mean, I know he shot 65 twice, but it still looks like like he was battling his driver on Saturday yeah, I mean, a little bit on Sunday. It's like I've been preaching. Rom's the best player in the world. Um, he he's got he's got the game that is sustainable. Like he's I don't think he's a guy that's gonna go like world one number one once or twice. Like he may fall out, but he's gonna get right back up there. And I think that's a testament to that just this year. I mean, three wins. You know, and it reminds fucking... me of a lot is really like 2018, 2019 Dustin Johnson. Like he his game yeah. goes everywhere. When he's playing his best golf, probably nobody can beat him. And if they do, it's probably going to be by like a stroke and it's going to come down to the wire. He has complete command of his golf ball. Nobody can really overpower him. Like he can always get into a, you know, a driving contest with anybody. And you I mean, even even at the Phoenix Open, like he didn't have his driver and he was in the hunt until like the 15th hole on Sunday. Like yeah. it, it it's <clears throat> a testament to his game when he doesn't have it. He's still in the mix. And then like when he does have it, it's like he can kind of run away from the field almost. Yeah, I mean, it's a well-worn cliche at this point because people have highlighted as a negative for a long time about like his mental and his temper on the course and. I give a lot of credit to Ron as that being like the fire of making him great at the game um, and him being a, a really quality player that has risen to this place. But you do see a lot less of the flare-ups now. And that could be just because he's playing better golf and he has less reason to be angry on the course. But even when he was really kind of like shitting the bed at the tail end of the waste management, going into that bunker on 15, just not hitting great shots, like you never really saw him like really like super defeated like he just sort of like knew that like this is temporary like i am i'm back and like this is going to be uh i'm going to be here for a while yeah Yeah. i think that's a great point (laughs) he uh he seems like he's harnessed it like the fire is still there but he's not blowing up whereas like three years you can say like this is where he unravels like a a snap hook left he he melts down that turns into a bogey turns into another one now it's more of like he made bogey on 10 and it was a great bogey save to be honest. And then you could kind of see him getting pissed and like stepping on the throttle more uh, and kind of using that fire. It's a testament to his game. I feel like when Rom's put in a place where he's in the mix to win the tournament, like he doesn't let like, he's still in it. Like he, he's going to play, he's going to play the tournament through and he's going to try to make the best score he's going to make. Um, whereas, you know, bringing Max in a little bit, at least from what I was listening to, it kind of seemed like he, he kind of just couldn't find it off the tee and just wasn't able to make it, you know, he wasn't able to, you know, he fought with Rom as long as he could, but he just wasn't able to compete with him when it definitely came to the back nine. And, you know, that's just kind of the difference between the two of them. I think Max is coming into his own as far as a golfer right now, like he's, contending in the biggest tournaments he's got a win this season and you know everything's looking good i think it's you know really good just to just to wrap it up real quick uh some stats from kyle porter thanks to him uh john rom's first 60 days of 23 top seven in all five starts three wins out of those five starts 93 under par in 20 rounds 67.1 scoring average beat or tied 601 players. That's 98.8% of the field lost to eight players. Total earned $9 million. 
yeah. pretty yeah, incredible. I, I had that. I had that pulled up to to bring it up as well. I mean, that's what I saw, and I think Ryan saw the same thing earlier today. But that that's just, I mean, that's stupid. It's it's absolutely absurd. I mean, that's just something that. And you can bring um, that gonna... that run back further because he's been hot for like a month and a half now. Like there's other wins yeah. in there, other fucking top tens. It's a yeah, good stretch. I, mean, it, I think it's eerily similar to I think it's almost as strong as a, a streak that Scotty had last year. I mean, four wins and like a month and a half stretch with a major in there. Like it's a similar dominating performance, except for rounds probably feels a little bit more sustainable. Granted, it's... Scott still just won recently, still in the mix, right. still killing it. Yeah, that's, that's, similar... what, that's what I was going to say. Like with Scotty winning, like recently, I think this is going to probably be one of the most exciting years in golf that we've seen in a long time because there's like tons of guys out there gunning right now that are playing the best golf of their lives. And it all happens to be at the same time. And, and we haven't really gotten that. Um, I mean, really hardly at all, you know, I mean, it's always, there's always a dominating force and and it's, and it's almost always a runaway you know, whether it's been Rory or Tiger or Brooks or DJ or whatever the situation is. I mean, in the season itself, it's just like, yeah, that's the dominator. But I think while Rom is on that hunt right now and looking to be the best in the world right now because he legitimately is, I mean, I I don't think you can discount Chef Scotty. And I, and I don't think that uh, I think that Max Homa and a, a couple of these other guys are going to be clawing and scratching the whole season. And it's going to make for a fucking good year of golf. Yeah, I, th- I think we're really, really lucky to have these three guys playing really great golf. We'll see what Roy does. He's only played two events so far this year on the PGA Tour. But, I mean, are there three better guys to have at the top of the leaderboard every weekend, week out? Like, they're so well-spoken. They're such good guys. Like, yeah, you want villains in golf and you want that kind of entertainment, but like in this kind of tumultuous time that is pro golf, like could you have three better just dudes representing the tur- like in the tour at the peak of their powers right now? I mean, you got you do without a question have the three best players in golf right now on the PGA tour. And <laughs> I don't trust any of them to go into a, a press conference and speak well to, you know, the happenings of golf right now. And, you know, that's that's not an easy thing to say for a professional sporting league. Like how many times did you have someone that articulate at the top of their game representing a, a sport? It's, it's honestly pretty incredible stuff. Kind of fun. And yeah, Homa is like inserted himself into that list of bona fide bad dudes that you don't want to, to have chasing you down. And it just, he had a, a badder dude that he had to catch. To, to wrap up Rama at Riviera just quickly, um, you know, three kind of shots really kind of stand out to me from from the week. The first one, we got to give credit to Lady Luck this week for Rom. I mean, banking <laughs> it off of a grandstand to get it uh, basically a tap in eagle and beating Max by two strokes as like later in the week. Like it, it is definitely kind of like uh, a crystallizing moment for his, his, his week, but he also stepped up and he hit some fucking incredible shots. Like the, the number 16, I think the part 16. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when he was just like the number and it's like, like a foot from the hole, like that shot was fucking nails. And then obviously the putt on 16, I think it was um, right yeah. before where he just 
from the fringe, another huge left right swinger from like 35 plus feet away, like just Rom doing Rom things down the stretch. Yeah. As soon as he did that, yeah. yeah, As soon as he did that, I was like, fuck, that's Max is gonna have to turn on or this is this is done. Like he like the crazy thing with like that whole situation, this could be a great way to kind of dovetail it into Max, is that like Max never really felt out of it until 17 when he was going for yeah. that like, really close bunker shot to like pull out. And, you know, he took a risk there, but like he always was pressing the gas down and trying to win that tournament. And this is the first time that Max hasn't won when he was in contention, like down the stretch on a Sunday, which is going to be like great character building for him and, and, and you know, fortifying his ability to get it done in the future. But like, like Max hung in there, like right after rom drained that uh that putt like he hit a fucking solid ship to get it close and then just you never you never thought max was missing a putt inside of like four feet when when it was that pressure packed like he was so dependable throughout that tournament like it's horses for courses for him there but he's also stepping up and showing he's got game everywhere well and he definitely he never took his foot off the gas pedal like he wasn't he wasn't playing it safe he was like i've got a you know it's it's buster I think he even Go said ahead, like it was almost more it almost instilled a bit of confidence going against a guy like Rom knowing that he's not going to take the foot off the gas so it just makes him have to know like I have to go for birdie. I have to save this par. Like I have to get the best score I can on every hole because that's what Rom's going to do. So it does it it kind of makes the decision making easier in that regard. But yeah, didn't didn't really mean to cut you off there Clint, but no, I mean, uh, essentially, that's you know, um, he did exactly what what you're saying. He was talking about. I mean, he he knew he had to play like that, or he wasn't going to have a chance. You can't you can't lay up when you're playing a guy like John Rum. You got to keep your foot on the gas pedal, and and he he did a good job. And and for him to you know come as close as he did, I mean, hats off to him. But I considering he once didn't again, Rom's playing. Like Homer yeah. usually has his has his stuff off the tee, and um... that whole final group was struggling off the tee, though. Like Rom really wasn't driving it that well. When does Rom miss left? That is not that doesn't seem like a thing that happens often. He plays that cut, and he just had the double crosses. I thought that was weird to see, and yeah, Max was kind of battling as well. But they uh, well, it was a heavyweight fight. Wait. They're trading punches. Yeah. It was funny, like all three of them. It was just like, wait, okay, left, left, left. Yeah. I mean, that was it was interesting, but yeah, yeah. He seemed to have a, a lot more cut on his ball too this week too. It yeah. seemed like Ron was really playing a, a larger fade than normal out there on the course. But yeah, Rom Rom's driver's been a little iffy lately. Like it doesn't seem like he has it quite slotted like he normally does. So I think he's battling a little bit of, you know, demons with the driver, albeit. I was saying he's starting his downswing really quick, but he's just been quick and getting the snap hook. He's just not settling at the top. He's jumping at it a little bit. That's part of the swing, though, is you generate the power from having a fast backswing than a fast follow through. And, like, he's always had a compact, really aggressive, kind of shorter swing. But we'll see where Rom kind of settles that. Like, I expect him to not be nearly as dominant the next few weeks just because one like he's never won in florida two it's a lot more penal off the tee there's a lot more water a lot more kind of bad hazards and you know i still think he's going to do well but i don't think it 
lends itself to his game nearly as much. But at the end of the day, he's the number yeah. one player in the world. Like he's going to find a way to play well in these tournaments. I just don't think he's going to be clipping off wins like he has been on the West Coast swing. Yeah, he obviously living in Arizona and playing out there more too definitely gives him an advantage. Um, it'll be interesting though to see where these two guys go. I could see both of these dudes winning majors this year and would not be surprised. Yeah, I mean, the the idea of Max at LACC is enticing for sure. I think that it's something like one, he just seems to be super comfortable in those grasses, which like yeah. wouldn't suffer really well for other people to get really phased by it. You could see people just completely perplexed by, by those greens, like Rory being one of them, Speed being one of them, just like not putting very well at all. Um, it 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 definitely can be a bit of a, an advantage for sure when you grow up on those grasses. Um, one last storyline from Riviera, I think we could touch on before we jump into the Netflix of it all. Um, the cat, the cat is back, boys. It's been hundreds of days. Like we, he's <laughs> emerged from his Open Championship hibernations, um, and uh, you know, all in all, looked great. I, I really have. I'm way better than I was expecting for a guy who could barely walk at, at St. Andrews, clearly looking like he had half of a right leg. He looked solid this week. Um, I mean, making the cut, you know, you know, shooting, I think it was three under on Saturday. Like, yeah, what a what an incredible showing from a 47-year-old Tiger Woods that's been through a pretty heinous accident, you know, two years ago. Yeah, well, I think what... he looked like a totally different person uh, to compared to last year where it was like you could tell that he was leaving everything on the course on Friday just to make the cut, and then Saturday was like a guaranteed four over, just happy to be here, maybe a WD after that. He brought it Saturday, and uh, I think maybe if he doesn't play in a 16-hole Pro-Am on Wednesday before the event, then maybe he's even more in it. Um, he looked so much healthier, walking better. He looked stronger. That I still don't understand how he's hitting the ball speed that he's hitting. Like it, it yeah, where does you not compute. Did, did you see the ball speed and distances that he was like that he was hitting? I mean, he yeah. legitimately was like three twenty plus on twelve holes or something. It was, I mean, and like. 186 I think uh, yeah he was he was, he was yeah and he said it's all core strength I I just like picture him doing sit-ups all day I don't know how it's all just rotational strength and not using your legs at all but yeah touching 180 a couple times and hitting it out there with Rory and JT I mean that's ridiculous as a 47 year old on one and a half legs yeah I mean it's it's incredible stuff it's you can't count him out somehow, you know, even given all, all the on a course on a course he hasn't had success at really. Yeah. Yeah. Know, which... And let's not pretend like he was like doing amazingly. Like at the end of the well, day, he was I, I think what Ryan touched on with the pro-am and stuff leading up to it, I think he could optimize, like he could have optimized that week better. I don't know if it was obligations because he's the host of the tournament and stuff like that. So he felt yeah, the need to really have any obligations though, you know, like exactly. Yeah. So I feel like he could optimize it better. Like, no, I know I, sh you know, I, I wish I could play in the pro-am, but I want to try to win this tournament 
So yeah. I feel like like on Sunday his ball speeds were down significantly, and I think that's yeah. you know just the the fatigue from the week. And they and... put him in late early, so like yeah, Thursday went out late, Friday went out early. Like that's tough on a body's turnaround too at his age and how early he gets up to activate like at 3 a.m or whatever but so, either yeah. way either way i think it it definitely looked like it was progress from last year um i think i i i don't know if he should he if he should try to get up for another tournament before the masters that seems kind of crazy but i think he, he might play, I, I, bet, I bet he plays the players I bet, I bet you plays. Yeah, I don't more know. The players is really close to the Masters, and who knows how the de like de escalation of playing a tournament is. For What's him. his recovery like? Yeah. yeah, does it take him two weeks to feel fresh again? I wouldn't be surprised if he played the players, but I think after missing um, the U.S. Open, I think he wants to make sure he gets all four majors this year. Yeah, that kind of sounded like his priority in his press conference. And obviously uh, who knows, I wouldn't be shocked if he plays the players, but I feel like he wants, he legitimately wants to give Augusta a good run and go from there. I want to exactly. know, like, I want to, I want to know what a prime tiger's ball speed would be with modern day technology. Like after seeing what he was hitting ball speeds with, uh, just his core apparently yeah. <laughs> uh it's kind of crazy um and uh, like i brought up that rough shot that i sent you guys in the group message like i mean what the fuck dude is he like kyle berkshire fucking ball speeds he's, he's a freak yeah. nature, dude he's a freak he's a once in a lifetime he has talent. to be though he would he would have definitely been those ball speeds like oh yeah there's no doubt like if he wanted to hit it hard yeah He's stupid jacked right now. When you look at it, it's like, oh shit! Like this dude is still in very good shape. For, I mean, to, today's point around optimization, like he understands his like physiological limitations now, and he's like, all right, what do I do to find speed? Because that's clearly what you need to succeed out here on tour. I can't use the ground as much anymore. I have to really enhance my rotational speed and my core strength. And so we're gonna fucking work on our torso <laughs> and our yeah. back and just get like our arms get all that power the same way that rom does rom doesn't generate a lot of yeah. speed from his legs he generates it from his upper body he has that hands both yeah. wrist and then whipping it through so yeah you know it's just cool seeing him reinvent his swing and his biomechanics you know year after year throughout his career like it, it's crazy but i don't want to belabor tiger too much longer it's just great seeing the cat and uh at the end of the day like we are lucky to keep seeing him playing high performing golf and at the end of the day he beat half the field the first two days making the cut and then he played great on Saturday shooting one of the lowest rounds in the course. And then, yeah, he was gassed on Sunday. Like if his focus is 100% just making sure that he's lethal for the majors this year, like he's not going to be a favorite, but like you can't count him out. Like I, I give him just as much of a chance to win one of these years and like, as like Victor Hovland, like it's yeah. I no like question. That. Like yeah. the idea is that like, it would be surprising if Javi won one. But it wouldn't be like, oh, yeah. wow, one one. Like, same thing for Tiger. Well, well, not to mention, I mean, like, his knowledge of the courses is almost second to no one. I mean, so that that's another big advantage that he carries into those majors that, you know, he's he's probably played more rounds on those than almost anybody in golf. So, I mean, that's where 
that's where he can with working on his body and with somehow upkeeping his ability, which is still wild with all the shit that he's been through. Um, I mean, it, it's one of those things, like you said, you just can't count him out. It's not, it's not logical to fully count him out. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I, we're going back to a venue where he's won the open championship as well. Like Hoy Lake, you know, I think, I think the open championship is somewhere that you can't count tiger out for the next five, 10 years. Like if it's firm and fast and dusty at 57, imagine that. (laughs) I mean, what Tom Watson was 53, right? Yeah. He did not have the body trauma that tiger does, but or the core strength. He also what he also wasn't tiger and I'm not a tiger guy. So that's, I think that's saying a lot for me. Yeah. Going that far. But awesome event as always. Riv is usually always a standout for the season, and this year was no exception to that. Like always, a great tournament to watch, and I'm hoping for more battles with Max in the mix in the future. He's always a fun person to root for, and he obviously cares a lot with his post round interview. Yeah, and he deserves a win with the hometown fans around him there because he is an LA kid. So he's gonna get it. Cool. He's gonna get it. He obviously fucking has like some good chemistry with that course he's played well there and yeah it's That's a course a, record it's a matter of time like it's gonna happen for him i have no doubt hopefully, hopefully the netflix cameras were following him out there this past week because hopefully he, he uh, hopefully he doesn't ne- next week they run it back for him yes sir all right should we run jump back into... the whole week <laughs> Should we jump into the the binge? You just run it back season? that week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus Christ. laughs> yes. Let's uh let's dive into the full swing. So just as a a reference here, I finished the last episode about forty five minutes ago. Clint, did you see everything? Are you fully in tune? I um watched six of the eight episodes today. Um, I, I was luckily like I had a skeleton crew at work today and it's a day that we're normally closed. So I knocked out five at work and I, uh, knocked out the (laughs) other one while I was, while I was at the gym on the, on the treadmill and in the, in the sauna. So look at at this guy. (laughs) I watched it in the sauna and on the treadmill as well today. We were vibing a hundred percent. And you're not going to be too bummed out about any sort of spoilers coming from us during this podcast. There's zero spoilers. I I was about, um, I about 45 minutes before eight o'clock is I've, I finished the very end of, of episode eight at about seven. Well, actually about seven 30. So yeah, about an hour ago. Wait, so you're not pretty fresh. You did watch all of them. Knocked them out. Wow. Nice. Okay. Well, then we are all caught up. And so Kid and Dave, y'all were the first two people in the continental US to finish all eight episodes, believe, <laughs> right? Y'all were done on Thursday. Yeah, but it might have been a not good for the podcast because I'm a bit rusty on them now. So <laughs> I'll have to have people say what episodes we're talking about and stuff if you tell me like i couldn't tell you who's what episode but if you tell me who we're talking about i should be fine yeah i think that's how we'll talk about i feel like it's it's easier to identify them as the brooks episode or the Beto episode 
yeah. then but Which we can do both. I can go ahead I can go ahead and say right now if there's one episode that we keep the shortest please fucking make it the Brooks one no it's Ian Poulter I think that's, thought, but let's not I, dive in I okay, think the Brooks okay. episode was kind of telling let's before we jump into it how about instead <laughs> since Dave Dave voiced that like maybe he has a little fuzziness we'll do something that the Netflix show couldn't do very well which is lay out all the episodes, give a good chronological nature of how this series is going to no go. Shit. And so let's like, let's zoom in on the movie. center of the golf world, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I got to say, as someone who was at that event, I liked how much we focused on Oklahoma. <laughs> um, so just to kind of break it down, this, what you know, is Netflix's golf documentary reminiscent and kind of inspired by the Drive to Survive series. Um, I think... More than anything else, before we jump into episodes, I'd love to get y'all's take. One, what did you did all together? Like, did you like or dislike the series? What did you like about it broadly? And then, in your mind, was it successful at doing what you think it was trying to do? I know that was a few questions, but I just want to get like that laid out so that kind of like sets the stage for the conversation. Yeah, I, I think that um, I think overall it was well done. Um, you know, I think that one of the one of the coolest parts of it in general was putting such a human touch to these guys that all we do is see them battle on the golf course and it and you get to see a little bit more of, you know, what what some of these guys deal with on day to day basis and and the struggles that they have and, and the life events that they have and the different things that just brings down the human nature of it all and stuff put stuff in perspective that as a viewer you you don't have an idea about and you don't put into perspective whenever they may be struggling this week or that week or you know whatever it may be and i mean i thought they did a a really good job at at um keeping it about golf but at the same time putting that element into it which i think put a whole new spin on you know, how I felt about certain guys because of it. Um, so I think, I think that that part of it was, was well done. I did not think that there was any way, shape or form that I would partially tear up watching something about golf. Um, and some of the people in it, like there was one or two times that I was like, Holy shit. I literally almost, almost had a tear come down my face right there. Right. Yeah, man. I, uh, I I felt the same way. I was happy with it. I thought they did a really good job. Um, and kind of just to echo what Clint's saying, it's really cool to see what goes on in between the ears of a lot of these players to really see this is what these guys are battling mentally week in and week out and see, you know, what are they thinking about? What are they struggling with? And kind of how that frames what's actually happening on the golf course. I thought was really interesting. Like you said, it was a little bit tough of like, Oh, we're back in Oklahoma and we're back at the waste management. And then we're moving forward and we're going back. So the, the timeline of stuff was a little bit like confusing, but I, I understand that's a reality of we picked these 16 dudes to follow. And it happened that JT Mito and Fitzpatrick all had crazy weekends at the same event. Um, so that's kind of to be expected, but I really enjoyed it. I had a ton of fun with it and it was a, a great watch. Yeah. And to kind of go off of that, it is one of those things where you like, you think, okay, well, 
I understand that this episode was based around this person, but would it have made maybe more sense to base them around the tournaments and just dive into all those people? So there, there's yeah. definitely a different way that they maybe could have gone about it. And who's to say that that would have been the better way, you know, at the end of the day, but um, you could see it being something because when you would watch a later episode, you'd be like, Oh, we're going, we're going back to that. We already, we already know what happened yeah. there. You know, it's just one of those things, especially if you're somebody that doesn't follow golf and you're getting a taste of it, you're like, you know, it might be confusing for that, for that person. But, but yes, um, I'm with you on that. Okay. Um, so I think that you guys had a, I think it's all pretty accurate. Uh, I, if I had to go off a scale of 10, I would give it like a six and a half. Um, I enjoyed it, um, but I am a golf sicko. Um, I think that the timeline thing was really annoying. I think when you have someone that's three, four episodes into a series, like you don't have to like, keep reiterating stuff and going back and stuff. I think like what Clint Clint brought up about going off of like a tournament thing, like you have the rights to these certain guys. So as the tournament goes, you just make that tournament a story as opposed to trying to make it a person story. Like I understand the premise of like, Hey, Jordan, Justin have a episode and whoever has another episode like I I think they went into it like being like we want individual episodes for people and we want each episode to be a person and I think they should have gone kind of more with the flow and been like okay the waste management turns out like it's Joel Damon and Harry Higgs kind of are a bit of the show and you know and yeah Scheffler's first win and and Jordan Spieth showed some promise and if you brought all of that into that episode I think it could have been better as opposed to the way that they did it um but I think as far as like the broader scale uh people that don't really watch golf I think you could jump into any episode and watch it and have a sense of what's going on. So I think that they kind of hit the mark with that. But at the same time, when you're several episodes in deep, you don't need to keep talking about, you know, what the cut is. Like there's a cut line to... and these guys don't get paid. Yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, we get it. Like we're four or five episodes deep. We understand that there's a cut and yeah, there's just some, some shit they might tune up because I know they're doing at least one more season. So, yeah, you know, they might tune up some stuff like that. But I think they need to be more instead of coming in. At least this is what I see from my perspective. Instead of coming in from like, hey, this is how we want to kind of format this series. I think they should have done it more on like the fly. Like, oh, this is a story right here. We have rights to these guys. We should talk about this as opposed to being like, hey, Matt Fitzpatrick won the US Open, we need to make sure that he's the main talking point of that tournament kind of right. thing. But I I I enjoyed it. Like I'm not trying to take away from it. I thought it was good, but I wouldn't say they fucking hit a home run. Yeah, I think six I think six five's a little light, but 
but I can appreciate the majority of what you said. Right I could there be talked sure. into a six eight. <laughs> Not a six nine. I though. would. I was gonna say a six nine would really. Be I would better, never. Right? I, mean, I would never give it the luxury of that number. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, kid? kid? Um, you know, I I see where Dave's coming from in the sense of like when you're heavily in golf culture and you're following the season, you know, down to the the, the very round that takes place week in and week out. Um, you're kind of in tune with everything that goes on, and there's a lot of things that are just kind of already ingrained in your kind of awareness of what could have been from the season. Whereas if you're coming in as a completely undoctrinated viewer, you don't know what they missed out on. And so I I think Dave and probably myself have really high expectations or maybe hopes for the season, maybe not expectations, but hopes. Um, I think the season was a product of what they felt was important for them, which was like, let's highlight the personalities and the personal stories of these players first and foremost, because that's what a general audience is going to connect with most. And this series was clearly made for Joe Schmo, who doesn't watch any golf at all, really, or maybe tunes in for the Masters once a year um, and are just kind of introducing them for the first time to the game and some of these personalities. Um, and I think it was probably relatively successful in that. Um, there were some certain things I think I would do differently, like separate the actual format of the series. But um, I think it was relatively successful. I mean, from the looks of it, it reached into the top four of Netflix's streaming. So it reached its top 10. It's going to get a huge audience. So that much was successful. So that's probably great to have those eyeballs there. And I think it did a relatively good job, I think, uh, covering the personality that they showed. Um, I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of new fans as a result of it. And I think that some folks are going to get a better indicator of what makes some of these other guys tick. I think there was a couple of guys that came in this a little bit too well-managed, a little bit too particular, maybe a little bit too um reserved they almost kind of played up for the cameras versus just being themselves which kind of came through but uh i think it was probably successful in what they wanted it to be now do i think the seams were kind of showing a bit with the show and that they were kind of like overlapping and kind of overplaying some hands here and there i think so um the the pacing of it felt very strange it overlapped so heavily on the pga championship and i know it's kind of nature of the guys they picked and where they showed up, whether it was JT or Mito or, or if it was at the U.S. Just to interject real quick. I, 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 I feel like, like the point I drove home or I tried to with them just covering a tournament, I feel like it could have been so much better if they encompassed that into one episode, as opposed to like scattering in on a bunch of others, you know? Yeah, I feel you. Um, I think they definitely um, struggled to just generally lay the land and like give people like a 30,000 foot view of professional golf. I think they could have really been served with just like a nice animation that laid out the calendar and what's important. Like you have the full golf season. It starts in January, essentially, and it ends in August. And the bookends are, you know, the let's say Kapalua and the Tour Championship. And the, throughout the entire season, you have these different tournaments that people show out for, but the four main important ones throughout the season are the four majors. And like, these are the four majors when they happen. And then throughout the entire season, they have the FedEx Cup race and the playoffs. Like they didn't touch on that really at all until the I period. was going to say, um, that's weird like, because they like highlighted they, they kind of did professional golf and the PJ Tour kind of a disservice in terms of just like generally laying out coherently to people. Like, how does this 
work? How long does this take place for? How, what's the format of these things? And I think they threw in kind of the rules and how things worked almost very strangely too. Like I think people really thrive off of visuals and they did most of their explaining verbally, which is sort of weird in this kind of context. But I think for the most part, I think they're gonna find their stride and it'll probably get better. But I think they really failed to coherently um, lay out what professional golf is like in terms of a professional sport throughout the year. And I think that lost context to a lot of people because the jumping around and the different stories felt so weird and intersecting. And then it kind of failed in a narrative way too. Like they almost inherently put spoilers into their own series by making the Mito and Sahith episode seven after the Frenemies episode, which was one, which gave away who won the PGA championship, where if you made the Mito episode before that, you never would have needed to know who won that tournament, but that he collapsed. And then you'd learn later who won it. So like that seemed like an obvious producer like failing there. So it felt like that was a lack a That's little bit a of like solid point, policy. kid. Like these are things where I feel like if they had a little bit less to work with, they probably would have done better. Like right. after watching the series, I actually feel like they maybe like were given too much with this season. I think a lot of the expectations from like me and maybe Dave, like, oh my God, this is the most like dramatic, jam-packed full content year in PGA tour history with Liv and all the stuff going on. And that may have given them too much shit to work with. And as for assault, like it it didn't, it wasn't able to cover it. It's almost as if Liv should have showed up next season so that they would have already established the baseline for what professional golf is and how it's being disrupted. But instead it's like an incoherent mess because of all these different things going on. So it's like, that's hard to handle. And all this like eight episodes isn't enough. I actually think they probably should have done 12. And instead of them being 45 minutes, they should have been 30 minutes. And you would have been able to chop things up in more small bite-sized discernible kind of episodes. And I think that kind of probably would have worked out better. Um, but at the end of the day, like I think the series succeeded for what they were trying to do for Netflix. And I think if they get another crack at it, they're going to do even better. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I think. I thought your um, point. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ryan. You got it. <laughs> I thought your point was really interesting that it, it didn't resonate with me at all that they didn't like explain the FedEx cup point system or the FedEx cup. And then the entire episode eight kind of hinges on Rory winning that cup that if you don't follow golf, probably don't even know what the hell that means. Um, so that that is kind of crazy that they left that bit out. Of it's the insane that that's like until the end. It's a footnote at the end of the season of like how these guys are measured across their tours preferred point system and like what the end champion of the PGA Tour is. Like it, it's honestly crazy. <laughs> it, it's wild to think that the PGA Tour, like, like, let, like at least didn't lobby harder for the final cut to be a little bit different because they barely covered the players, like barely at all yeah. covered the players. And that's because Cam won it. But besides right. that, the, the other side of it too is that like, they barely cover the FedEx Cup. Like, it's kind of crazy to think that like this came out and I get that they're completely separate and they're able to have like, uh, you know, it's unbiased by any of these organizations, but kind of crazy to think that it, it came out the way it did. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm curious how y'all want to attack this. Do y'all want to do, does everybody have a favorite episode in mind? Um, is a, and maybe do your favorite episode and least favorite and dive in it that way? Or how do y'all want to, I don't have it. a least favorite, but I definitely have a favorite. 
Um, yeah, let me let me quickly just kind of. Uh, I was gonna say let's just go through each of them right quick and just kind of give a lay of yeah. the we and then we can people will kind of have the context and they'll kind of remember the episodes. Um, For sure. The season. Well, came we, what's up? I was just gonna say. I mean, if we're if we're gonna do a little on every episode, I mean, we could just start at one and talk about it, and then move to the next. Yeah, I, I I was gonna do that and then let people kind of speak to which ones were their favorite. And we could go through them and give them a, a a piece on each. But um, no, I think actually let's just dive into it. it. You know, the what what Dave was your favorite episode? It sounds like you have one that stood out for you. Which one was it? So we're going into favorites and not starting yeah, at one. Favorites. Is that what everyone wants to do? Uh, this is yeah, I'm fine with that. I didn't mean to totally throw a wrench in things. I'm happy to run through them all. <laughs> real quick just to give a, a refresher kid it sounded like you had a game plan let's do it yeah i did not mean to throw a wrench in the game We're, plan it's all it's all good um i'll do a quick outline then i'm just basically where we're at the, the season kicked off with frenemies the episode with jordan spieth and justin thomas um childhood best friends the well-worn story we know this one but the wider public didn't kind of gave a glit you know a glimpse into the glitz and glamour of professional golf taking private jets having expensive money games doing stupid card games um just generally speaking kind of uh you know uh, an episode of what you think this show would look like if the pga tour produced it by like that's how i would think the pga tour want this to look um uh general thoughts on the first episode uh from you guys um every like relatively produced jordan speed justin thomas segment ever Essentially. Yeah, it's true. It's every cutaway that you've seen at an event where it's like, did you know that these guys sat next to each other and ate sandwiches at a junior event when they were 13? And like, yeah, um, it was just a little more drawn out and a little more in depth. But it was like, just like you said, kid, like what the PGA tour would produce. <clears throat> and I think it kind of makes sense for a first episode. I think that episode could be a lot better um because i think both both of them are relatively interesting guys and relatively might be a, a like a, not a great term uh they're yeah. they're interesting guys I... um and they're they have their own personalities and jokes they make and uh i think it was just kind of a a a, a page out of the book of the class act tour kind of kind of deal yeah yeah i feel you on yeah. that i i, I think will... that they could have done a Sorry, no. I I just think they could have done a better job of of honing in on how, like, how good of golfers they are, and like the tournaments that they have won, and like dove a little bit more into Spieth and his 2015 run, and you know, just a little bit. I mean, they had the whole fucking archive essentially. Like, they had so much. I think it was like ninety thousand hours or sixty thousand hours of footage that they had archived archived whatever you want it to was say. yeah it was like six thousand, but still that's so, a ridiculous amount of hours i mean like i i think that they could have thousand sixty thousand you know that's just it's a lot it's the same but i i mean i just think that they could have done a little bit of a better job of diving into like how how dominant of a player he was and um you know, and how big of a slump that he's had and, and how he came back from that. I think that they could have played on that a little bit more. I mean, it was interesting to see. I mean, I, I always knew that 
uh, JT and people are friends. I didn't know they were best friends. And you definitely can't see that by watching them on the golf course because when they're on the golf course, they've got their fucking game face on and they, you know, they want to beat each other and they don't, they don't show that really. You don't see the, the playful side and all that other stuff. So it was interesting to get that take on it and to see that, um, you know, to see how close of friends they actually are. But um, I, I just think that they could have dove a little bit heavier into, into their actual golf lives with those guys because of how big a dominating force they can be. I did think it was cool. I, I wouldn't have believed you if you told me how much uh, JT really thought he completely played himself out of that tournament. Like the vibes that he had on Saturday of like, well, I fucking shot myself in the foot. This thing's over. Like the way that he came out firing Sunday and, and brought it back. I, it just, it was surprising that he was like, Oh, I'm fucked. This is over. And then battled back was cool. Yeah. I think this episode, when I first saw it, had me really concerned for the rest of the season. Cause it felt like they took the simple, easy way out with the episode is that like, they took the very well-worn service level narrative of like, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas are friends. And Jordan Spieth has just historically always kicked the shit out of Justin Thomas. And then JT got his comeback to win a major in the same season that, you know, Spieth won a, a, a normal PGA Tour event. Like, if that was the spark notes on it, like, yeah, that that's an arc, but it's a pretty uninteresting arc from what we, the golf sickos, actually know has been going on for the last six, seven years between these guys. And the difference here is that like they chose to take an easy way out of this episode. And I think it came across as pretty flat to me. And I think there is a much more rich kind of, I think story that maybe they were less interested in actually conveying when working with the producers and doing the show that they just want to do kind of the PJ flights and the fun practice rounds and that sort of stuff. And they both get their win. But in reality, the story is that like you had a prodigy that was kicking the shit out of everybody for the first 10 years of his kind of professional and like amateur golf career on a meteoric rise and just destroyed everybody until he won the open championship in the very next major he hands the baton to jt and then he disappears off the fucking planet for three years from professional golf like all of a sudden their best friends rise all the time all of a sudden they one gets his shine in the light and the next one does and then speed is in the wilderness trying to battle his way back into it wins on the tour of the previous year, wins again on this one. It's like, okay, he's finding this thing in, but it's kind of a struggle. He's kind of band-aiding together. Like, what's the stress? And then JT is like, he's the dude for a while. And like, they just didn't lean into that at all. And right. it, the story is, I feel like, still rich and able to kind of go down that direction for more time to come. And they kind of missed that opportunity to me. And I get that I'm deep in the weeds and they're both my wolf back. And I like these guys a lot and I obsess about kind of their careers. But that's not a hard storyline to see. And I just think they shied away from taking the more nuanced approach because one, I'm sure JT and Speed were probably less interested in kind of conveying that. And then two, they wanted just the, the biggest kind of lobbed softball pitch at the beginning of the season and just make it dead simple how this kind of dynamic and PGA Tour life kind of works. And to me, I think it came across as a pretty middle of the road and maybe even below average episode of the season. Yeah, yeah well, if you... We're going to get this soon, buddy. We're so close. I think if you think about JT and Jordan as two superstars who have images and handlers and the whole managers, it makes sense that you're not going to get that like behind the curtain, super uh, like real view. I feel like we got the 
this is what my agent wants you to see of the life of me and JT together type of look, which is like not that exciting, but with each episode, I think we could wrap it with each of us giving on a score um, out of five, like just five, like a five star score of what you think it is around the horn. Clint out of five, how many stars does this one get for you, man? Do, can we have half stars? Yeah, you can have half stars, Dave. Yeah, I, I would give it a three and a half at, at best because you know you obviously um are better at articulating your words than i am um but like you were saying i mean i i just i just felt like it was a little bit lackluster and how they could have dove into you know the peaks and valleys of of what they've gone through in the last six seven eight years um at this point and so um, because there was a little bit left to the imagination there, like you said, for the people that know their careers a lot more. Um, but I think it also could at the same time shown the people that don't know about them, how, you know, how much that actually went on within the last six, eight years with those guys. So I think that there was a lot left on the table that, that, that they didn't uh, really get, get a good eye on. So, Yeah. I mean, three and a half. Um, yeah. uh, it was a four for me. Um, I will say I was really biased, though. Uh, my dad and I walked that final Sunday with JT. We picked him up on number two <laughs> at Southern Hills and walked that whole round with him. So the whole time I was watching, I was just like, oh, I was standing right there for that shot. I was standing over there. So has nothing to do at all with the quality That's of the okay, content, man. just Personally, I enjoyed watching that one for that reason. That's dope. <clears throat> valid, valid reasons, man. Valid reasons. Yeah. Um, for me, I would give it out of a five star scale with halves. I would give it a three, and I don't like it, but I don't want to give it a two and a half. <laughs> um, Not ready to fail it. See, I, I, I think I will give it a two and a half uh, out of five stars for this. I was very concerned for the rest of the season after the, watching this one. I'm like, oh, God, are we really going to do this, this facade for eight episodes of, like, these guys playing it up to the camera and clearly not being themselves? Like, I've seen enough stuff of Jordan and Justin to know that, like, that's not really how often, like, how they act. Just, like, enough of the archives of whether it's interviews or social media clips or if it's, you know, Snapchat or what, like whatever, just like how they conduct themselves whenever they're not clearly on camera, or at least they just think that they don't think they are. It felt just so, I think, forced at different levels. And to me, for what it could have been, um, I think it, I think it lacked a little of a bit of what these guys should be doing. I think the best part about the entire episode was. You know what, back. kid? I'm at two and a half too. <laughs> <laughs> And and to and to the point of you know the thing that really saved to me and I'll, I'll say it again here is that J- JT's dad was awesome like he was the yes, most he, authentic he, person on yes. that episode. like the him talking about his dad being kind of like too hard on him and not want to do that for his son and like getting getting him grown up him being his coach and his dad at the same time for him kind of being also kind of like his sports psychologist during the week and you know it it really felt like he was kind of the soul of that episode and you didn't really have that other than that like that's they're gonna make these personal stories that people need to actually be authentically personal and i don't think jt and, and spieth were um at least didn't feel that way to me so it felt like they're a little bit guarded with the crew and i understand that like they're making a documentary about like your life to a degree so 
Uh, it's not easy to do to be vulnerable, but we'll get into later episodes in this season. But people that were vulnerable, I think it cashed in for them. And I think it, it I think at the end of the day, it made for a much better product. Um, all right, jumping into vulnerable, jumping into broken, jumping into a far more, I think, dramatic and enticing episode as far as I'm concerned. This is episode two, Win or Go Home. This is that follows Brooks Kepka and Scotty Scheffler. Um, and it kind of goes through Brooks's woes, his game kind of falling apart, his lack of confidence, his kind of shattered ego, him just being all up in his own uh, thoughts. And then Scotty Scheffler, who is just kind of moseying through his days on tour, just being the number one golfer in the world, just breaking out, just doing his thing. Um, thoughts on episode two, Winner Go Home from the boys. Um, I think that Brooks definitely let himself out there more than a lot of people on the season. Um, I don't know if he in- intentionally meant to do that or if he was trying to put on some facade, but regardless what came through was that he was clearly not confident in his game, um, felt some type of way about it. And, uh, it, to me, it felt like he took the live money because he's not confident that he's going to be able to make that amount of money on the PGA tour. It just, that, to me, that's what it seemed like. Um, and... I'll piggyback in where it feels like we may have lost Dave there. I, I, I think his point is accurate. I do think the producer's goal was to convey that Brooks's game was kind of falling off of a cliff and he ran from. Quick little jump cut there, but uh, you know to kind of tailor home the point around you know Brooks's kind of precipitous fall off. You know, I think contrasting it with Scotty's rise, his New York rise, and their two different kind of mindsets and mentalities was the first glimpse of I think a well curated and directed and produced episode for a, a sports documentary series. This is one that made me like, okay, we're we're back on the rails. This is actually well documented and, and, and good TV here. Um, that was my takeaway from it. I don't know about you guys. I, I definitely out. felt. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I dropped out. I assume kid picked up. Um, but yeah, I was just saying that Brooks wasn't really do it. Should I not talk? Do you go, go, do your thing. No, you're good. Uh, yeah. I mean, it just kind of gave an insight to where his head was at. It seemed like he took the bag. He wasn't sure he was going to be able to make that amount of money. And he didn't, it just seemed like he was not confident in his game. And that's just last year. I don't know where he's at right now. I'm not going to claim no, but as far as that footage and that documentary, it seemed like he was in the wilderness and he was like, fuck, I'm going to take this bag while I can take it. And yeah, he had he was not the Brooks of old when he was winning majors. And he essentially said that in the episodes. He's like, I can't compete with these guys week week to week. And it's like, wow, that is a 
That's not an alpha fuck. You, that's no alpha, Brooks. No. You, you're no alpha boy. Yeah, it's that's a really I had a very similar takeaway and it was kind of crazy. Um, I found this to be one of the more like insightful episodes of all of them of like this. This feels like an actual look into the inside of the situation. And kind of like you said, it almost made it feel like, oh, he like Brooks really, really cares about his legacy and he thinks that's over and he just needs to grab that cash. Like it's it. I felt like he wanted to stay on the PGA tour really badly and continue to stack up majors and, you know, go for the career grand slam and do all of those things. And it seemed like he legitimately believed like dog, I'm broken. I don't know, which is crazy to think about how someone with that level of confidence could have that fall. And like, why don't we get a, a coach in here? Let's work on this. Like we saw what you could do. You were unstoppable. Like you can get back to that. And he just, for whatever reason, decided he he doesn't think that's possible, which I found really interesting and kind of sad. I uh, actually loved it. I loved watching him be just broken and and at the worst yeah. part of his game. I actually I absolutely loved it because he's my probably second most or least favorite player in golf. Um, Oh, it's well documented. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Trust yeah. me, I'm not a Brooks fan. Um, I mean, but and I mean, there was there was one line on that episode that made me hate him even more than I already did, and it was when he acted like he didn't even know who yes. ended up winning that major. He's like, "Oh, I don't, I didn't even watch. I don't even know who. Oh wait, was it Scott? Oh yeah, it was Scotty. Like, shut the fuck up, dude. Like, tell me you didn't watch the. I mean, he just." That just made me dislike him even more than I already do. But, um, you know, I you said that you felt like he was worried about his legacy. And I feel like with the way that, um, you know, Liv is perceived and with the way that you hear guys like uh, Rory and JT and Tiger and, and Spieth and these guys talk about what legacy is going to be, I think leaving to go to Liv uh, is essentially going to next to destroy whatever legacy he had. Now I did say to Dave earlier today that I think four is the magic number of majors to put you in the record books to be talked about for, you know, decades to come or whatever it is. But I mean, he went on a, he went on a a historic run. Like there's no doubt in that. And I, I think you're accurate in saying that. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, you know, I think that, what he did in those two years was, was mind blowing. I mean, um, and, and it, you know, you never know it, it may never happen again, but, um, but I think that what he's done has tainted that even though people will talk about it and say, whatever, I still think that um, from a big perspective and from a, a lot of the major guys, I think that there's a lot of respect lost and I don't think that in their minds, he will be that topic of conversation. He may be for sports broadcasters and people that are like, Oh yeah, but don't forget about this guy. But I think that there's a lot of love lost there um, between some of those, those major guys that are there advocating for what they believe is the right path for the sport, you know? 
No yeah, doubt. I think he brought up a you know a good point around you know when he whether it was authentic or inauthentic about you know who won the Masters again. I can't remember who won the Masters again. And the producer behind the camera was like, you know who won the Masters. Um, but Brooks also like JT and Spieth was very conscious of the cameras being around. And I think the difference though is that he watches enough reality TV to know who becomes a star from these things and who ups their cloud. And I think what he did is he turned off alpha and he, he played sympathetic character on, on this one and really just like turned heel a bit and was like, Oh, maybe this will make me a sympathetic figure. Maybe I can pull a Daniel Ricardo a bit here and become like a, a favorite of people being a kind of different personality with my bleached hair and my, you know, different personality. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it actually worked better than the JT's people because at least he picked something that wasn't just vanilla. Like he actually, gave himself a defining characteristic that kind of juxtaposed him very nicely against Scotty Scheffler, who was a very like just kind of meandering ah shucks personality that just like took over the golfing world for that first half of the year. And and uh, I mean, to be fair, like Scotty is kind of vanilla. If he wasn't fucking just kind of. an insane, an insane golfer, like he wouldn't be, talked about like if he was just middle of the pack you know yeah and i think that was a i think it worked out with how they chose to kind of dictate it but it's a great kind of dichotomy of the two people is that like if you're going to choose when to put someone who's vanilla into a into a documentary you do it with a person who's inflammatory and all over the place it kind of kind of bounce like this is what someone looks like when they're off the fucking rails and this is the composure of somebody who's on top of the fucking world right now that like how they sustain that kind of that excellence. So yeah, uh, I'm going to butcher the quote kind of, and I know that's not a great thing to start it with, but there was some line that Brooks said that was essentially the, the premise was, yeah. yeah, nothing. Yeah. Nothing's going yeah. through Scotty's head. And I, I don't have that right now. Essentially he's yeah. not thinking about anything and I'm thinking about everything was, yeah, there's that, the, the most meme scene of the whole season where he's sitting on the fuzzy swing talking to Jenna when she's picking out cover-ups for her bikinis for whatever her bachelorette party. And he's like, I'm not listening to a word that she's saying. All I'm thinking about is my swing, which you know, Scotty's not <laughs> the golf course. Yeah. He's not about anything. But for him, he's obsessing about his golf swing over and over. And like, the fact of the matter is like how lost he was in the greens to this episode. Like, that's the kind of shit I want to drink up with Speed, right? It's like Speed was in the wilderness. Like, show yeah. us that. Like Brooks is in the wilderness and like they showed us that, which I think is like, what's, what's more compelling Two guys that are, and this is me cheating from the no laying up podcast a little bit with them talking with Chris Ryan, but like, what's more interesting that these two pinnacle golfers are best friends or that this guy who used to be the best player in the world that had the most dominant major run in recent history, lost his game completely. Like the second one is way more interesting to watch. Right. So yeah, there's you, there's no doubt. Do you think that they knew, like, did Brooks know that his episode was going to be him and Scotty? I don't think so. No, because it just I seemed think, like. But I think I guess probably, uh, the way that they produced it, that it, he just seemed to kind of keep going back to like, oh yeah, well, like I, I, my guess is that the producers knew they wanted to juxtapose it too, so they asked him probably leading questions about Scotty sure. in different ways and cut it to be that way. But I doubt. Brooks knew as much. And at the end of the day, like Brooks is going to talk about whoever's dominant, like during that time yeah. where he's talking about how far he's fallen. So, uh, you know, just to kind of keep this thing moving, like scores, star ratings across the group, 
What are you guys thinking? Well, I don't think I really talked about Scotty a lot, which I think that says a lot. Um, I think he's a great guy. But like I brought up a little bit ago, I think he's pretty vanilla. Um, I don't think he brings a lot to the like character. Uh, Marketability in your wolf pack. <laughs> he's not. Amazing. He's not a polar. He's not a polarizing figure on the course. Like he's not somebody that brings a lot of flair. He doesn't like outside of a. He's a like fucking a, great. He's a great guy. Like he's a. He's a religious guy. He he worships. I think they could have that harder though. Like no, absolutely. Let me can I, like, let me just finish. Let me just finish. Um, and I think that's all great. I think he's a great person. Uh, I just don't think he's like a intrigue, like a super intriguing character. He's kind of just like living his life and doing his thing. And like, I don't think he really even like money doesn't matter to him. Like nothing, nothing really matters. Right. He's just playing golf and living his life. So that's hard to like center an episode around when you have Brooks, who's a basket case, apparently. And... Well, and I don't, I don't think that they really did that, right? They didn't, they didn't really center around him. I feel like they did move that more around Brooks, and and it was likely because of exactly what you're saying, though, because yeah. there's not, you don't get a whole lot from the guy, so it's it's well, hard yeah, and, to really. I'm just saying that, like, whenever I'm going to rate the episode and I'm talking about it, like, there wasn't really a whole lot of juice for the squeeze with Scotty. And when I pointed out earlier, like if he wasn't the best golfer in the world at the time, like you wouldn't really be talking about him. And that doesn't like diminish him as a person. Cause he's a great person. It just means like your golf has to be what keeps you relevant. Like you can't be uh, a Ricky Fowler just because that's my guy and on the top of my head, like he's able oh, to a really apt comparison. Somebody who's yeah, getting yeah. really not the thing that's keeping him relevant in the public eye. Yeah. So you're not going to be that guy. So you have to, you stand with your golf, like your golf is what, and, and in all aspects, that's all that matters. If he continues to be a success, he's already been successful enough to be set for life, essentially. So it doesn't really matter, but uh, yeah, that's what he stands on. And I, I, I think Scotty's a great guy. I like him a lot. Um, but I think for that episode, I think he didn't bring enough to it. And it was mostly like, Hey, this is the Brooks episode. If that makes sense. And yeah. if I give it a star, I'd give it a three and a half. I mean, Scotty's not even in the description of Netflix, like on the Netflix um like little synopsis of the episode, Scotty's name is not even mentioned in it. So I don't, I don't think that he was, I, I mean, I don't think that he was supposed to be the, the limelight of that episode. I think it was essentially just, you know, like, Hey, Brooks is having the hardest time of his life. And this guy happens to be having the best time of his life as far as on the golf course. You know, I think that it was just like, Hey, here's, here's polar opposites right now. I was going to say, he was there to be the anti-Brooks. Like, this is whatever right. the opposite of Brooks is right now. This is our, our wholesome, lovable, easygoing golfer who doesn't 
bleach his hair and date an Instagram model. This dude met his wife at church and drives a 2006 Chevy Silverado. Um, but Clint, finish your thought. What did you, where were you at on the episode? Yeah. I mean, um, I have, I have trouble giving it any more than I, than I gave the last one just cause I despise Brooke so much, but to kid's point, I thought it was, I thought it was a more intriguing episode. Um, I thought it did give more life to the series as a whole. Um, so for that, if we're going in halves, um, I, I would, I would give it a four. I'd give it a four compared to, I would actually probably need to take my original down to a three on episode <laughs> one and then go to a three, five for that one. Cause I just can't give it a four. It wasn't that good. So he's in there. Broke. That's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair for your scores. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'll give it a, a, a four as well. I, I found it really compelling. Um, I thought it was really interesting to watch go like watch Brooks go through that. I don't like Brooks, but I thought it was really uh, compelling television to see kind of what he was battling through. I love Scotty. Um, we'll talk about this more when we get to other characters. Scotty is a dude that I want to watch every time he's on a golf course. And I don't really need to see him on TVR on Instagram for anything else. Like I love him as a golfer and I, I find him, he's an awesome dude, but I don't need, like the PGA tour doing Instagram clips of his wife describing his Chipotle order, not super interesting stuff to me. Um, but I'll watch him swing a golf club all day. So, um, the Brooks side really brought it home for me and I had fun with it. Yeah. Um, so for, for me, I think Scotty was just a tool to kind of create a reference and, and scale to yeah. the disparity between the two of them, both, talent and, and current success in terms of in the moment as well as personality like you have kind of a more debaucherous and flamboyant and extravagant lifestyle of brooks and his fiance at the time and you have the very grounded kind of grassroots and kind of you know wholesome lifestyle of scotty and his wife and just the general like one's almost like a reality tv couple the other one's like you would never tune in to watch a single minute of these people's right. lives it's so kind of you know I don't want to call them dull. That's mean, but I just mean in the sense of like it's not entertaining. That personality-wise, but I think that's a an active and, and instructive and uh, curated choice from the producers to choose that kind of dichotomy between the two. And I think it was actually done really well. Where I think there might be other parts in the season that kind of had a similar dynamic between two personalities that probably failed at that. To me, um, I think Scotty's success paired with his kind of you know boringness, quote unquote is a great pair to someone who's far more interesting, but doing terribly. And I think that balance worked well. I think it was a bit of a yin and yang episode that I think did pretty well. And I'll, I'll give it four stars as well. Um, I think it was a stronger episode than the first. Um, and did I give I, it a three or a three and a half? Ryan gave it, I don't, you gave it a three. Okay. Yeah. Stand Cause you were two and a half for the first one. Yeah. Um, Moving on from the, th the second episode on to the third episode, Money or Legacy. This is the one that follows very closely the life and uh, times of one Ian Poulter. Um, yeah, standalone episode, uh, one that really pretty much only followed one player. And they chose Ian Poulter um, and his family 
Uh, runtime a little bit shorter for this one, 39 minutes. Um, and really just kind of followed this guy kind of making, this is almost the first intro of live into the mix. This is when they first really started talking about it a lot. The Brooks episode had it to a bit, but this one really leaned into, I think a lot of the, the live stuff. Um, I think this episode for many probably was their least favorite. Uh, one personality reasons and two just generally like probably just like what they felt they could connect with, but uh, love to get y'all's thoughts on episode three, money or legacy. Yeah, I could not. <laughs> I, I couldn't finish it. I gave up at like 33 minutes. Wow. Oh, we're going to get this soon. Dude, I found it <laughs> totally unwatchable. I, I, Ian Poulter is not someone that's yeah, interesting to me. I think watching his kids roll putts on the giant private jet is not compelling. Like I just, none of that was even remotely exciting, but that, again, it just wasn't for me. I I think that this episode um, is one that probably did well with people that don't follow golf, um, that don't okay. that that don't have a an idea of who Ben Poulter is. We obviously heavily know who he is and didn't like him in the first place, so therefore it made this episode much, much, much tougher to watch. Um, I did happen to make it all the way through. I didn't, I didn't quit. <laughs> uh, I didn't quit with seven minutes to go, but, but I, you know, it was, it was easily um, my least favorite, I would say. Um, and I mean, it just, you know, it's in Poulter's that guy that has always annoyed the shit out of me. Um, right. I'm always, he's, He's over the top and which, you know, there's people that are over the top that I like. Um, he's just not one of them. So I think that it made for probably semi-compelling um, watch for somebody that doesn't know who he is. And, and they're like, you know, it, it could have been it could have been good for that. And and for that reason, I can see why they put it in. Um, but for you know, people that follow him and, and golfers that uh, happen to dislike him. And it was hard to watch. So for me, I feel like Ian Poulter was more, I don't want to say genuine, but he was more aware of the cameras. And I feel like he opened up to who, like, not who he is, but like, I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan of the episode, but I'm I'm gonna rate it the same as the the last one with Brooks as a three. Um, I just it wasn't bad. Like it wasn't it wasn't as like with the Jordan and JT episode where it felt produced by the PGA Tour. It felt like you were getting a little bit of insight into Ian Poulter into who he is and. I, for me, I enjoyed the stuff with his son and hitting the putts and with him at the range and stuff like that. I thought that was cool. And yeah, I don't know. I'll give it a three star. I mean, it wasn't great. It wasn't anything spectacular, but I thought it was, it was decent. Yeah. I, I try to separate me not liking somebody from like 
trying to take down the rating of of an episode too much. Like I I don't like Ian Poulter. I think a lot of people share that sentiment uh, with me, but I think they did a decent job of kind of walking the line of how do you cover someone who I think to most people would come across as unlikable and still make the episode, um, I wouldn't say interesting, but like watchable in a sense of like, I, I have a rooting interest to see where this shakes out for him. And you're giving me enough of a background to have some sympathetic moments, like when he's in the closet, choosing on his clothes with his kid and like being kind of like a dad and actually like coming across as genuine in that moment. And then you kind of bounce it with the episode, the parts of the episode where it's like, oh, you clearly watch Drive Survive and you know exactly how you want to act to be portrayed by this series. And that's very telling. And, I, you know, if you read into it, like, I actually enjoy that because, like, I can tell how much of a show you're putting on right now, which, like, further emboldens what I've always thought of you as being kind of like, a, you know, an over-the-top, flamboyant, knowing character caricature of an actual human being that comes across as really false and facade and almost as if like you're a walking pair of veneers um, as, as a human. <laughs> and I don't take that away from the episode really. I actually think it did a, a decent job of, you know, conveying that without making Ian aware that that's what the producers were doing. I think if anything, this episode made me really confident that if they go into more and more scenes of this, that they can walk that tightrope line of getting someone to participate in the series and not making it seem like they did them dirty but at the same time, being knowing and telling enough to show, like, yeah, this dude kind of sucks. Like, but he is—he could watch the episode and not actually feel like they did him dirty that way. Like, they, you know, between like the family stuff and letting them kind of do their thing, and like, I think he was given enough kudos in the episode as far as he would kind of see it to actually make the episode come across as a win to him, which I think is the perfect line to be able to walk to keep doing these with more like heel characters. Like, think of this: like, Drive to Survive had no. Bryson, it had no Patrick Reed. Like the biggest heels in the series were Bryson or were Brooks and Ian Poulter. And I think they did a pretty good job with both of them, like for the series. Um, yeah. I'd give this episode three stars out of five. Um, I could maybe get talked up to three and a half, but I think just generally it's a relatively uninteresting episode as far as the golf is concerned. I, I think he's not interesting enough as a person to be the entire episode. And then also the golf be so uncompelling around like, yeah, he missed out on his chance to get into the Masters from match play. And he completely like was a no show at the PGA championship and they showed him struggling there. But like the highlights of the show was when he would say like, I couldn't cover my expenses for the tournament as I get on my private jet to fly across the Atlantic. Right. Like that's the sort of stuff that's sort of like you guys failed at the golf part of this, but like that's pretty hilarious, like, ob like obliviousness. That like I think yeah. is for the television series, and that's true. I guess I didn't. I, I should say for one, I I haven't watched the Drive to Survive series, so that was good insight about him actually the the show allowing him to play a character. Because I the whole time I was like, he is totally just hamming it up. But it's like, yeah, that's who Ian Poulter is, and the show is letting him do that. Um, and then like you said, I thought it <clears throat> it did a good job of kind of showing the stakes of live like oh this is generational wealth like we're not talking about like oh it could be a little bit better it's like this is life-changing money for these dudes and yeah I'm he already... essentially played the hand of like hey i live this lifestyle right now and if i don't take this paycheck my family's gonna have to change their lifestyle dramatically and i don't want that to happen so i'm gonna go to live mm -hmm. that's what that's what we're doing 
I I had a little bit of a different take on it than that. I just think that he knew that he was at the tail end of his career and wasn't, I mean, wasn't going to be, I mean, to, to your point with that, um, I mean, he wasn't going to be able to withhold to be making money on the PGA tour really hardly at all. Um, yeah. so the fact bet, that they were going to offer him tens of millions. He was feeling that already, I would imagine. Like he hasn't been oh, making that much money on the tour in a while. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, you know, he's, he's not even a top 60 in the world player and he hasn't been relevant. I mean, outside of Ryder cup, he hasn't been relevant in the last five years minimum, if not more. So it's one of those things where I think that, knowing that he's on the tail end of his career and that he can go and just grab that bag, you know, what, like for somebody like him who doesn't have much of a legacy to uphold, why wouldn't he, you know, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't really have a legacy to uphold outside of Ryder cup where he's been, you know, a dominating force, at least in the individual perspective. Um, I mean, he doesn't, uh, he's not a guy that's talked about. He's not the guy that you're going to bring up when you talk about legacy, anything. So, I mean, for him, it's, he's one of the ones that I understand more than almost anybody else that's gone that route. No doubt. What's so I gave it three. Dave gave it three, right? Uh, Ryan, you gave it, you didn't finish. So I didn't I'm, give it a start. I'll, I'll give it a one and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna be that brutal, but because of the fact that um I think that it does appeal to others, I I would give it because of that a three as well. All right, good okay. stuff. All right, heading on to episode four, imposter syndrome. This follows the self-deprecating Joel Damon. And his journey through uh, qualifying stages for the for the U.S. Open, his you know jaunt at the waste management with Harry Higgs, a deep you know personal uh, exposition of his childhood, his mother's passing from cancer, his stint with testicular cancer, his budding relationship and kind of blooming uh, you know professional debut with his caddy Gino Benali, um, the you know the uh, the pregnancy of his wife starting a family it really took the episode template of what they had with Ian Poulter and focused on one person for a full episode but took a complete opposite opposite route to it where we moved away from a facade and someone who clearly knew what the, the series was doing and someone who knew the drive to survive element of it was playing it up um, to the camera and Joel who just ripped all the barriers down and just was vulnerable with the cameras and being himself um a complete pivot from what we got with the episode before. What do you guys think of uh, imposter syndrome? I was insanely amped on it. Um, I, I mean, Joel Damon's a guy that I never ever really paid a whole lot of attention to. I mean, he's, you know, he's had a couple tournaments where uh, coming into Sunday, he's towards the top, if not at the top, very few times, but you know, I'm like, oh, I like the fact that that dude has a bucket hat on. I mean, you know, I, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the guy, but this this episode did a wonderful job because I fucking love him now. I mean, I 
I really, really, Welcome really. Welcome to the squad, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I am a huge fan. And I, you know, outside of um, of how self-deprecating he is, um, I, I wish now I have like an emotional connection to him. I'm like, dude, you got to get, you got to get your head out of that, that, that mindset. You got to, you got to be confident in yourself. You can go out and do this. Like I'm as big as, you know, in my mind, I'm like his biggest cheerleader now because I'm like, dude, you got the ability. I feel like I, you know, have a lot of sentiment with this caddy who, is his best friend and, and has believed in him all along, you know, um, I really, really appreciated that relationship that they have. And I think that that's something that's pretty special, um, that you don't really get a whole lot on the PGA tour. Um, I don't, you know, there's, there's not, I, I would think that you couldn't count on more than three fingers, the guys that would, talk about their caddies the way that he does or their caddies talk about the players the way that you know the way that he did I mean it it, um it was really cool to see um and I mean it's another one of those things where you don't you don't have an idea that that he's had a pretty tough go at losing his mom and having cancer himself and you know, just uh, probably when when that happened, his wife kind of touched on it lightly, but, you know, just going out and partying and not really caring and not really diving into the fact that he lost somebody and, and, and not, you know, really letting that sink in. And that probably affected him for who knows how long Ever. to a forever you know i mean like it's still to this day i mean he's he can get emotional and it and it happened you know 14 years ago or or whatever that was i mean and, and to this day he still gets emotional thinking about it or talking about it so it's just a it just like i said in my opening thing i mean it just gives such a human element to it and and really takes a different look at how you know nothing about these people outside of their golf game. So maybe sometimes take a step back before you are so gnarly about how shitty they're playing or whatever it is, you know? Um, And there's another player that that comes to mind that we can talk about, you know, a little bit later on. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm his biggest fan. I absolutely love the fact that he thought he was done um, when he was trying to qualify and went and had a couple white claws in between rounds and <laughs> like almost thought about hanging it up, but went out there and shot five under and qualified. I mean, like every bit of it, uh, I, I loved it. I'm, I'm going on a little, a little long, but I, I was a fan. Thumbs up. You have a star. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to five star it. I'm going to five star. First five star. All right, Dave, take it away. Um, I really enjoyed the episode. I've been a Joel Damon supporter for a long time. He's a great dude. Just seems like, you know, salt of the earth. Fucking love to have a beer with a guy. Don't even have to play golf kind of guy, you know, just, uh, a really a guy's guy 
and you always seem to, at least me, I always seem to be rooting for him when he's in the mix. And yeah, I, it was, it was a, it was a great episode. Um, and yeah, it is insane how well he played at the U S open after that, you know, it just making that cut or making, making that qualifying round at the, at the, us open qualifier it's like yeah it instilled some confidence even if it's at that level like he carried that into that tournament and was like man i was actually playing good on that second round and yeah it, it, he he does have the game to be like i think as caddy said top 30 in the world i i absolutely think that he's he he can be a top 30 player in the world and it, he is someone you want to root for. <clears throat> and yeah, it, it's hard to not like the guy. Like it, it really is. And he's got a, 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 you know, a great story. And I would give the episode a solid. I'd give it a four stars. And was there an official induction as well? Did, did you make that official? Was that happening here? Yeah, but he's not the induction. Oh, oh what? okay. Well, for okay. People have no idea what you guys are talking about. Okay, okay. that's fair. I, a, when you said but, woke squad, I assumed that's what we were doing. Um, he's a dude's so. dude. He's a dude's dude. You know. He is yeah, a dude. I've dude. always like, I've always liked Joel, and uh, you know that doesn't mean. If yeah, if he's not I, in the wolf pack, that doesn't mean I don't like the guy. You know, I look, have the up utmost regard for the boy Joel, and I think, like I said, I'd love to have a beer with him. And I don't even have to play golf, or we don't even have to talk about golf. I think I could just get along with him on that level. That's just kind of the vibe he puts out. You know, look, I made an ass out of you and me. I assumed, and that's my fault. Um, I am gonna pivot here a little bit and i'm going to do it lightly uh to me he is like the opposite of scotty scheffler i want all the jill damon tv the golf i'm not as interested um i hate i hate i don't know what it is i should probably talk to a therapist about this i hate that loser's mentality of like oh shucks you know i just i can't be as good as these guys when like everybody else is like no dog you can you but just you also you also hate Brooks's mentality when he was on one at the same time. So you hate both ends of the f- spectrum. No, I hate that Brooks was a douche about things. I don't hate guys that think they're the best in the world. Like when JT and Rom go out and they're like, "No, I can win every tournament." I, I, that's I respect that. It's when Brooks had like a different level of arrogance and cockiness when he went on podcasts and stuff. Um, but I, to me, just that like, oh, shucks, I'm just not good enough thing bums me out to watch about his golf game. As far as like a dude and his story, really awesome stuff, but just kind of will want like his caddy talked about. Like so you somebody find, needs to you find, shake him. You find him compelling, but you don't find his golf compelling. Right. Yeah. And, and his attitude about golf. It's like, dude, let's let's go get it. Let's go, as Tiger would say, get in he's the a, dirt and grind it out. He's a self-deprecating guy, and that's clear from that. Yeah, episode. no question. And I think if he wasn't, 
you know, I I think that there's a possibility that he could be, you know, like Dave said, like his caddy said, he could easily be a top 30 golfer if he could be if he could get the middle side of it dialed. I think that he could be that. And to your point, I would I would respect his golf game a lot more if he if he did have that mindset that, dude, I can do this. I can win the U.S. Open. I can, you know, go out and win a, a PGA Tour round or a major. Um, I have that ability. I know I'm good enough to do it. Like if he did that and he's, you saw a swing to where he starts turning and he starts making those things happen, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to respect the guy. And I can understand how it's harder to respect his golf game when he doesn't even have the confidence in it himself. Right. And there's like, there's self-deprecating. And then like the way he, his attitude kind of came off to me was like, well, if I say I think I can be a top 30 player, then I have to go prove it. And what if I don't succeed? Like it almost had that, like, I'm a little bit afraid to say of what I think I could be just in case I'm not that instead of that, just like unabashed, like, no, I'm a bad motherfucker and I'm going to go show y'all. Um, so that was that was my only qualm, but it's super like the the family stuff definitely pulls on the heartstrings. He's a hilarious dude. I love him when he's on podcasts. I thought it was a really good episode. I'd give it a four as an episode. Like, how could you not watch that and not feel for him and the kind of struggles he's had, but just his attitude as far as me watching him and rooting for him was the only thing that I didn't like about it. Yeah, um, I I love this episode. I thought it was fantastic. I think Joel is the exact candidate that this show really needs to create diversity amongst the the murderers row of some of these golfers. Um, you know, I think something that the Drivers Survive series did really well is that they made it not all about winning. Um, yeah. They made it important to follow the eighth best team on the grid in F1 and it's not all about Mercedes and Ferrari duking out for the first two seasons. Like they lean into personalities and people clawing for just points here and there. And I think this is a great job of making victories, not from trophies in the series, but like proving that you can do it and that you're able to kind of break through beyond what people's expectations were were from you. I mean, the fact that this episode had someone as likable and empathetic as Joel Damon for all the reasons that we've already listed and the same time, get him golfing, qualifying through an open U.S. Open qualifier through the last round with the nail-biting finish that Dave kind of spoke to, and then getting into that U.S. Open qualifying and then playing his way into contention for the first three days is unbelievable Cinderella story stuff that would have only been better if he had won it. But I think the fact that he didn't win it was indicative like the journey that he's on. He's trying to get through and, and then progress himself and find that confidence that you're talking about, Ryan. But I think the confidence thing is also a great thing they leaned into well with the episode too, is that like Joel Damon has a perspective that nobody else has, like losing his mother and having cancer himself. It brought in a perspective like golf isn't everything. And like, he doesn't need to live and die by his result because like he found what's important to him between his wife and life. It's like, he's just so much more grounded than everybody else that we've been watching in this series. And like, that was a great kind of, you know, readjustment of focus um, to kind of, dive into for a full episode um yeah joel's the man the episode was fucking awesome i'm giving i give it five five stars i think it was really really solid stuff two fivers yes sir so best episode as a whole so far yeah indeed um episode five american dreams this is the episode that 
follows both Matthew Fitzpatrick and Dustin Johnson and kind of their journeys into the U.S. Open, the same tournament that Joel Damon was was vying for. And it kind of juxtaposes, again, they love their kind of opposites. You have kind of this small, calculated, analytical golfer who's Matthew Fitzpatrick, who documents all of his swings and is always in his own head and find ways to micro-optimize his entire game to the point where he achieves this major victory to a previous U.S. Open winner with Dustin Johnson, who probably to Brooks' credit is like someone who goes out there like Scottie Scheffler with nothing on his mind, just uses his talent to get him across the way. And I thought that was a, a knowing just juxtaposition from the producers and trying to facilitate that storyline. And I think your mileage will vary at how well you resonated with that or how well they executed it. But I think it at least built an episode that knew what the storyline was supposed to be with the episode and did their best to execute on it. Um, Y'all's thoughts on American Dreams? Yeah, I <clears throat> thought that um, overall it was it was still an interesting episode. Um, you know, of all the guys that have left for live, um, I think that Dustin Johnson was easily, you know, the most the most talented one to to cruise over. Not that that's like, uh, you know, hard to understand. I, I, I think, I mean, granted, we've had the conversation before. I mean, if we're talking about Brooks and majors and blah, 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 but, um, but in general, I mean, he was, you know, the, the best player that, that made the transfer over. And obviously, I mean, it was for him, nothing, but, Hey, I, I want to make more money and spend less time doing this. I mean, uh, that's all it came down to for him essentially. Um, and he says he did it for family and blah, blah, blah. But I think the, the thing that was more of a, uh, interesting thing for this episode for me was just, um, like that come up of, of Matt Fitzpatrick and, um, really getting to kind of get, get in between his ears, which is, apparently a crazy place um just in this just <laughs> in, this in there yeah Man, the fucking I mean, like I... you should hit odd clubs or even clubs on this day thing it's like dude whoa you are ocd as fuck that's like, also brilliant I, as far as making i clubs actually was gonna say longer. i i love, <laughs> love it. well no i just i just loved it because it's one of those things where it's like okay well today i'm you know i'm gonna work on my my four iron, my six iron, my eight iron, whatever, you know. But um, why wouldn't you I, go to the range like a normal person, shoot the fucking pin you're going at from where they saw it is that day and try to go with the club that's going to get the closest to it? Instead, he's like, no, I need to hit my eight instead of my nine right now because it's an even day of the month. Like that is I not never a ever shoot a flag when I go to the range. I think you guys are taking this way too seriously. I don't even know if he was saying that in jest or not. Like he was talking to his brother. No, who's, I yeah, took it literally. I took it fucking literally. Well, I understand that. I hear that clear. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a possibility he was saying it literally, but just because of how much of a numbers person he is, exactly. the fact that he has basically logged every single shot that he's taken since he was fucking 15 years old is absolutely wild. Um, but I think the thing that uh, is most impressive about him is just, and you can like when you see him and DJ walking side by side, <laughs> it looks like he's a fucking hobbit. Like it looks like 
I, I mean, it's it's insane. DJ looks like a giant next what? to him, and the fact that that he like on certain holes was able to outdrive DJ. I mean, it's just a, a testament to how much time and effort he puts into his golf, and it's it's pretty impressive to say the least. But um, it was it was also kind of cool to to see him have to grind out and really really try to get that first win for the u.s or in the u.s i should say um versus having all the european tour wins because i i want to say it was somebody on there that essentially said yeah well four european tour wins is like winning one pga tour stop you know um i mean essentially you can you can talk about it as much as you want but it just doesn't it doesn't equate right so um, you know they meant to, it the opposite way when they were talking about it, right? Like when Tom <laughs> Pierce and him were talking about, it, like they were saying it like it's bullshit. They say it like that, like European yeah. tour wins are nothing to sneeze at. Like that's like what they were com- where they were coming from. Saying it was the opposite I like how you took it about. Yeah. <laughs> um, my takeaway from this was that I found it really interesting how opposite. DJ and Brooks were um, like the whole narrative that the PGA created about like, look, we're about legacy and we're about tradition and all this. And Brooks was just like, that's sick. I'm going to take a hundred million dollars. I've won my tournaments. Like I'm not going anywhere. I'll take the cash and get the fuck out of here. And just didn't care. Um, was kind of interesting, I guess. Like, it's a huge bummer. I could never operate that way. That's a weird way to think. Did you mean but to say DJ? A... Yeah. You said Brooks. He did. No, he, no I he, said that uh, the difference between DJ and Brooks. Like, yeah, but Brooks... you're saying the perspective of DJ taking the hundred mil and not and being okay with his legacy. That's the point you're driving home, right? Yes, that he doesn't care okay. about his legacy. Yes, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah, sounded yeah. like you were talking about Brooks at least. Well, he he said his legacy was already solidified. Is what he said. He's like, I've already exactly. Yes. I need to yes. prove. But yeah. at the same time, what he equates to being important is majors, and he still feels he'll be at majors going forward. Um, Correct. But I mean, he won the Masters in 2020. Like he's got five year exemption across all the majors from that alone, so and like, a lifetime at the Masters. Yeah. So like. I think to him, he's like, I look, I want to play less golf. I want, like, I'm making more money. Like, the idea is that what I care about, I'm going to still be able to do. Like, it made complete sense for Dustin Johnson. At least he unabashedly just stood by like those simple terms and didn't try to do any other kind of like, do I support the decision? I mean, that doesn't really matter. And then, two, yeah. I think the, the answer here is like, at least he's not pretending, like, he's not trying to like, moralize his decision like he's just like right it's simple for me like this is the reason whether i not i agree to it doesn't really matter but like at least he came across as authentic in his decision making whereas ian poulter really felt like he was kind of trying to have his cake and eat too right yeah, yeah exactly i i agree with that heavily i mean the fact that he you know and he laid it out there in pretty pretty awesome terms he's like i i mean if somebody told you that you could do your same job less and make more money. Like what are the chances you're not going to do that? Like, I mean, in a, yeah, you know, but at for... the same time, I was going to leave this to my little segment. We kind of cut Ryan off in the middle of his, Very good. but I, 
that's the one thing I was going to, I was going to say that DJ has made the transition to live the most eloquently until the slip up on the Netflix stage. After he made that comment, you just mentioned Clint where he's like, you'd be an idiot not to, or something like that. And it's like, no, people have different morals and stuff like that. Like you wouldn't necessarily be an idiot not to, you just think that for you, that's worth it. So he didn't I, say he didn't say you'd be an idiot not to. He just said I he think said you'd most be, people would do that. I think he no, said he you'd said be I dumb. think most people would do that. I think he I said you'd be dumb not to. I watched to. it today. <laughs> he said either way. I think most people would choose that route. But I, I think there was some neither, more derogatory term in there. But either there way. If we yeah it's fine we'll figure this out but uh not on the spot <laughs> either way i took that at least whatever i felt was said in that situation as like hey like yeah you i i, I think you've done a really good job navigating navigating this whole live transition i think you've done it the best and then that one little slip up in my opinion uh kind of kind of was like okay well you know, you can look at it like you make millions of dollars anyway, and you're taking this money and you say it's to right. be able to work less and make more money. And that's all good. Like I'm on board with that. I, that makes sense. I understand that from your perspective, but then when you are like, and no one would do, nobody would not do that if they were in that position. It's like, well, some people, you know, might not take that. He said most, he said most, but yeah, but most, most, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But most haven't transitioned to live. So that's not an accurate statement. So with that being said, uh, I, I I still stand by he's made the best transition on Matt's Matt Fitzpatrick side. Um that story was just so good going into the US Open. He had won the US amateur there. Uh I was all in on that. I made bets on him for that US Open. Uh, I picked him in the like whatever Tyler does the like pick him yeah thing the masters the majors. Part or the majors um, cool so it was one of those things where it's like damn this storyline's too good he's been playing good golf throughout this whole year coming up to it and yeah it just seemed like it was written in stone and it was like that that was meant to be it happened and it did. Um, I think kind of like Scotty Scheffler, he's a little bit of a vanilla guy. I think the analytics kind of helps in that. It's like, okay, he has kind of something going for him. Like as far as like intriguing wise, it's interesting to see someone that fucking obsessed with like every shot and numbers and stuff like that. And yeah, uh, as a whole, I give the episode a three and a half. Um, yeah. That's my my thing. Yeah, I um, think three and a half is fair. Yeah, I I share the, a similar sentiment. I, I think the episode had a lot of opportunity to be even better than it was. Um, I think they really didn't emphasize enough his USAM win there and kind of overcoming the odds in terms of kind of what kind of golfer he was and how he transformed kind of his swing and his body to get to where it was. And I get that more of a hardcore golfer kind of take, and they're just kind of leaning into a more simple narrative there. Um, but 
I think for the most part, I, I kind of I, I share share the same grade. I think three three out of five stars, middle of the road kind of episode for me. Uh, didn't take away from the season, but also just kind of I think is a relatively forgettable one uh, in the grand scheme of things. Moving on uh, to episode six, uh, don't get bitter, get better. Um, this is the Tony Finau and Colin Morikawa episode um, following the family man, uh, Tony Finau and the, you know, the new golden child, as people have been uh, trying to notate for, for Colin Morikawa, um, kind of juxtaposing this kind of perennial winner that came out on tour immediately with somebody who's kind of struggled to knock off the big time wins. Once again, kind of understand the angle that they were trying to take with the episode. Um, I think your mileage will once again vary on whether or not they execute it well enough. But um, the the episode, I think, had some of the notes that I think a lot of people resonate with. Uh, open up to the floor. Thoughts on episode six? This was another one um, that gave me a huge perspective into something that I would have never known. I mean, you know... Um, a lot of people have been vocal on on Tony Finau and how he can't close and all this different shit about him. And um, I came out of this episode with more respect for that guy than probably anybody on the PGA Tour. Um, the guy puts his family as close to possible as first as and if anything he may he may even put them as even with his golf game. I mean, like for the people that dominate the sport, they, they can't give their family the time to be at that level. And he somehow finds a way to stay at a, a very, very, very high level while not sacrificing his family in the same time. And, and he has a bigger family than anybody on the tour. Um, so that's a lot of time and effort for that guy. And I was, um, I was very impressed with him as a human being and, and also another guy that's dealt with a lot of loss. And, um, I just, I just came out of that episode with insanely mad respect for that guy and, and think that that's another one that is just like, wow, you know, all these times where he was struggling and blowing it on Sundays and all these different things, like, you just you just don't know what these people are going through and and it's it's really cool to see him finally getting some wins under his belt and i think it's only a matter of time before he you know can close and snag himself a major or two and um and i hope that he does because the dude um is a is a great guy and and a family man and he's unapologetically so and i respect the shit out of it and that was also an episode with can't take away from my guy, Colin Morikawa. Love that kid. Um, also just a stand up dude that, um, you know, he's not dealing with anything like, like Tony Finau is. I mean, he's, he's got a dog and, and a fiance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like a well-pampered you know. dog at that <laughs> yeah. shoes and all <laughs> it flies on a private jet. I mean, like, so, you know, to, couldn't be more polar opposites and and just goes to show, um, you know, why Colin maybe is, has been able to be more um, more dominant in the early part of his career than Finau because he, he doesn't have those distractions. He doesn't have 
um, you know, the things that, that Tony has to deal with. So um, I think it was interesting to be able to see how two different, you know, two different golfers can, can be dealing with different things. And, and um, I don't know, I was a, I was a big fan of that one. I, I think this was one of the ones that I may have teared up on a little bit, you know? 100%. This one was special. I, it, I, I don't know about y'all. I had no idea that uh, Tony Finau came from where he came from. Like to hear that he basically learned how to hit golf balls against a mattress in his garage, like had no idea that that was his backstory. Obviously like the loss that he went through and his ability to put his family first, um, was really, really special. Like Tony came out just looking like the most likable dude ever. Um, and I actually kind of thought, and I'm curious if y'all had this vibe. I've all, I like Colin Morikawa a lot. I thought he kind of, again, maybe it's because he's getting played up against Tony Finau. He looked a little, he had some tough scenes where like, Tony Pena was like, yeah, I'm traveling with my entire family to all my events and Morikawa's working out. And he's like, well, you have to be selfish. So I just be selfish. And where they asked him about like his style and he's like, nah, I think that's your style. Like I thought he came out a little bit rough looking. And again, maybe it's because he was paired up against Tony that looked like just the nicest dude in the universe in that. But those were kind of my two big takeaways. Hell yeah. Um, for me, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Dave, uh, go on. You're good. Uh, for me, this was my favorite episode of the series. Um, Tony Finau, man, striking the emotional chords for me, like Clint said. I, I literally cried during this episode. Um, I think his story is amazing i think it is inspiring um like ryan brought up hitting balls in the garage and going to the range once a week to see if the balls are actually going straight going back to the fucking house seeing the dents in the garage uh i mean it's just crazy and his relationship with his family and his wife how she just came up with him and they seem like they have just a such a good foundation and uh i mean i i really didn't like the narrative that they kind of threw on the episode of you know it, it, is he lacking on the course because of his family or bringing his family with him and stuff like that and it's like no i <clears throat> I don't think a guy like Tony Finau is lacking because of bringing his family with, if anything, what they showed it, like he's worrying about his family when they're not there. And I think that brings uh, a peace of mind having them there to a degree. And I just, I couldn't have any more respect for him and the way he conducts himself in life. And I, 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 I'm blown away. He, he's, he's just a good guy and it, it is awesome to see and just seeing the v validation, even if they were like, 
not the like strongest fields, but going back to back and him saying like, I didn't feel vindicated after getting that first win. And I wanted to go out that week. I felt like I had something like a, something to prove and doing it. It just, it's just, it was awesome to see it from that perspective. And it was just, it was, it was, it was a good episode. I really enjoyed it. Even with the tainted narrative, they were trying to put on it, spin with, um, and just the, him losing his mom and all of that, him talking at a fundraiser or whatever that was at some golf clinic or whatever it would have been. Um, it just struck a lot of emotional chords and yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I, I really, I really think Tony's a good guy and, I would like to live up to be a guy like him. You know, that's what I took home. So, yeah, I, with all that said, I want to bring Tony into the wolf pack. I'm taking myself out. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate to throw Scheffler under the bus, but I'm taking Scheffler out and putting Homa in. And damn, a double wolf pack switch. Yeah. But that's what's going down, and that's the wolf pack right there. And the episode gets four and a half stars. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's my recap. Yeah, I mean, that was a heartfelt good recap. Obviously, it was an impactful episode for you. Um, obviously, there is obviously still room to improve and grow. I don't know if Dave will ever give a perfect score to an episode. Um, if one can bring it to tears, but I, I thought it was a, a strong episode as well. Um, yeah, the the invented narrative that felt almost entirely from Netflix on, I don't, never, and I am deep in golf Twitter. I am all over the place on the internet, and I can't think of one time where someone was like, you know why Tony Fino's not winning? That pesky family's just always around. Those damn kids. Distracting him. Like yeah. it felt like they invented that narrative, not to make Tony like more sympathetic, but just because it lacked any like hero's journey that they wanted for him, other than just like he doesn't win enough and he should win more. Like he he's already interesting enough as a guy, as it is in his background and where he came from, that like it felt so forced and almost like kind of kind of like tone deaf tone deafly inserting a, a storyline that almost felt kind of like kind of classless to do um and kind of makes the golf community seem kind of shitty to think that people would be like treating it that way but like i mean we're not all perfect and we say some outrageous shit for sure but like i didn't see too many people complaining about tony's family being around and that being a reason he couldn't close um i thought the tony stuff was fantastic um i gotta say ryan i share your sentiment what a tough and really uninteresting look into colin morikawa like he's always been a very like articulate guy but always with a processing engine of like this kid knows exactly what he's trying to say in the moment and what's going to come across as like the most like politically safe for him and like legacy standards and like you can tell like he's very you know well-mannered and like curating his speech and how he talks about himself and how he conducts himself and you could just see that kind of managed relationship with the production crew and like himself and professional golf that felt completely i think really stark contrast to like the genuine authenticness of Tony's 
whole story. Just to insert myself real quick, uh, I didn't come out of this liking Colin Morikawa more. Like, uh, yeah. I didn't think he came off as, I don't know. I, I, I just, yeah, it wasn't a great look for him. I don't think it's a net gain or, gain or positive, but it was just kind of like, <clears throat> kind of like the Spieth and JT stuff, sort of, <clears throat> but... I, I think honestly, like the episode with Colin Morikawa was like exactly what I expected an episode with Colin Morikawa to be. Like he is who I thought he was, an overly managed persona to the public and to like people that document him. Like the way that he did his like open championships, you know, uh speech in 2021, like he he clearly is a smart guy that talks in the way that he think is is the most you know, well-balanced and like maneuverable way to position yourself to the public eye. And it comes across as, I think, like pretty inauthentic. And I don't know if I would behave differently than him. It's tough to be vulnerable in front of cameras and you don't want to be like, you don't want your actual personality to get trashed out there. So why not put on a facade, I guess? I, I don't really know. I also think the production crew did kind of work to make him come across as worse than he was. I think they intentionally chose that idea is kind of like, well, that's more your style, man. Like kind of like throwing like kind of like a, a dig at him like yeah. I, I mean i wouldn't rock him. it's more your style man like that's that that felt weird to me and then like intentionally counterbalancing tony Finau's authentic statements with his like selfish ones or like i could never do that kind of thing where it's like you're also like 23 years old and like yeah right. <laughs> right now no one would expect you to be um i think it also didn't help that he had no interest in golf to really demonstrate in the in the episode either like he had a really poor year so yeah. it's hard to really find really interesting through lines with him as a as a golfer in this, other than him just being like, I've won a bunch of huge events really early in my career, which is different than Tony Fino. And like that's what they were trying to go for. Um, I think the Tony stuff was obviously really strong. Um, I would give this episode four out of five stars. Yeah. Um, breezing along, episode seven, golf is hard. This follows Mita Pereira and Sahith Tagala. Uh, on their rookie seasons on the PGA Tour. Um, I will just leave it at that. Uh, lots of struggles, lots of kind of failings, but at the same time, some triumphs for each of them and then good things to take away. Uh, Y'all's thoughts on the rookie episode? I'll start this one. Um, I said I didn't have a least favorite one, but as soon as you mentioned this one, this was my least favorite one. Um, I think part of it has to do with the timeline with the net. Netflix series the PGA championship had been brought up so much prior already um, yeah. so you were like oh we know what's happening with Mito and that might be because I'm I know already going into it what happens but I just feel like they just fucked up on the way they did it as far as the timeline goes and that kind of ruined it for me I honestly felt like it did some of the best job with bringing his wife or fiance, whoever that is into it with the caddy's wife. And I thought that was really good. I think they could incorporate that more going forward. Um, I really enjoyed that perspective and all, uh, all the Joaquin stuff was really enjoyable, but uh, yeah, as far as the meat, Joaquin stuff, was rocking the fuck out of that bucket hat. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, as far as the Mito stuff, like, you know, I guess the story's a little like in intriguing, like being a Chilean and stopping playing golf for a little bit and being confused of what you want to do or whatever it may be. Okay. But yeah, 
Um, and then the Sahith stuff, uh, that was really touching. Uh, yeah, I mean, the waste management stuff with they they did a very good job this episode with bringing people that are close to the player and they're watching the tournament into perspective and seeing that ride along the way from their perspective, they did a great job of that. And I want to give credit to that, but as far as like the players and stuff like that, uh, and not so much Sahith, but more Mito. And I think the timeline stuff doesn't help him with that. And I could be biased in that regard, but, uh, yeah, I'd give it a three and a half. But yeah, uh, um, all all the stuff at waste management with Sahith and his family after his round and stuff that was super touching and uh, I mean that, uh, literally that that finish literally changed his life and it's like he made a bunch of money and he's set for a hot minute and they like it what it, it seemed like what he cared about was he, he you know he thought he could win it and he was in it and. Yeah, it just uh, the Sahith stuff was great. Um, it how was more so. Your, how can this be your least favorite episode and it beats out two other episodes on score? <laughs> yeah, I guess I'd give it a three. Three and a half was a little high. I think you got to get all the way down to two. Yeah, yeah, you have to get down all the way to two. You have a two and a half or in there. <laughs> Which one was the two and a half? The Polter. The first one. episode. Oh, no, the first oh, episode. Yeah, but the Sahith and JT one. Uh, I guess that might be my least favorite then. I hate to do it for Jordan and Spieth, but I, I, I guess I stand by a three over the two and a half. I, I still stand by that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I guess I just really didn't like the Mito stuff, the Joaquin stuff, hit Mito's fiance or whoever that is stuff was great. It was everything except for the Mito golf was good. And yeah, it, it just, he wasn't very compelling to me, I guess. I felt the same way. I, I really did not like once we got into the Sahith, like waste management, that roller coaster at everybody watched that tournament. That was right before the Super Bowl. Like all of that was really exciting to watch his family. Enjoy. It was really cool and touching. And I, I think he's going to be a threat on tour when he kind of gets his driver sorted out. Um, so I thought it was a good episode, but definitely like, I found myself, maybe this is partly because of the binge. I was like, all right, let's get through this bad boy so we can get to Rory versus Cam. Um, so it, it was good, but not great. Uh, three feels about right. Clint? Yeah, I, I think that um, this episode is probably the biggest testament to it would have probably been a better go to have these tournament based episodes versus people based episodes um you know because it chronologically just you already you already knew it was going down i will say like 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 me to or not um that fall apart on 18 was hard to rewatch. <laughs> i mean i remember it you know when I when I watched it happen live, but watching that happen again, like I was, it was just hard to watch. You just feel for the guy, um, you know, uh, at least at least a little bit. Trying to get a trying to get his first win on tour and 
not nonetheless at a major. I mean, it, it just, you feel for the guy. I mean, it, it's one of those things where um, I think he's a good golfer and I think that he's, he's probably going to win some, win some PGA tour. Uh, not anymore. He's not. No, he's going to live, oh, win well, some live events. <laughs> sorry. I forgot that he followed Joaquin over. Um, but, uh, can you still hear me? Yeah. yeah. But now I think I'm AirPodless. Um, anyway, yeah, I thought um, I forgot. I forgot he followed Joaquin over. Anyway, moving on to Sahith, uh, I think that he's going to be fun to watch. I mean, he was. Uh, I think T six with Morikawa this week. Um, yeah. so he's, you know, he's playing, he's playing good golf. Uh, and I think that, uh, with him being a rookie, uh, last year, I mean, I, I think that it's only a matter of time before he comes in and wins some. And like Dave said, I mean, there was some touching elements to his, his part too, with his family and stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to watching him play some more golf because I think that uh, he's going to probably do nothing but get better. So um, I am looking forward to to watching him play a little bit. But uh, overall, episode um, probably a three, three five, three, three five ish. I don't know. Neither here nor there. I'm not that great. Not that terrible. Ryan, did you get did you get the star rating for, for yours? Yeah, I said three. Yeah. Um, yeah, my take on the episode was that uh I think it kind of got done dirty by its position in the season. Um I think there was a lot of opportunity with this uh episode, like kind of following the path and journey of a rookie on the PGA tour is an extremely think, rich narrative because for someone like Sahith, like he's in obviously like kind of like a cruddy one bedroom apartment first time being out of his family's home, like didn't do his laundry until just then. Like he doesn't have really that clear, that much money in the moment. Like it is live and die by, I mean, not live and die, but like it's do or die with the um, cut line and making money. They could have leaned into that a bit more. Like this really felt like it would have almost been best served by being the first episode and then front loading the first 20 minutes, kind of getting into the glitz and glamour and throwing in a bunch of different faces, kind of spices up. It's like, before we get all, into all that, like let's bring it to the ground level and handle these rookies first. And then like, they both don't get it done. So you don't lose the spoilers to how someone won the event before. And it has all that kind of like, you're living and dying by these guys. And you get to be brought in the season with like the heartbreak of both these guys not getting it done and kind of collapsing. Like that's, I think a fraught beginning to this season that could have been. Um, and I get that you're trying to buy in on people like having smaller names and not as big of personalities, but like if people on Netflix barely understand golf as it is, so like you don't really need to lean in too hard. Most people don't even know who Jordan Speed and Justin Thomas are that are like on Netflix. So right. I think uh, that would have been, I think, probably a more cohesive start to the season. Um, main takeaways though from the episode is that like give me more of Sahith than his dad. I mean, like, what an interesting beginning of this episode. Like, his family were never into sports, never understood, like, what the, the whole point of this was. Like, came from, like, an immigrant family. And, like, the whole idea of, like, once we understood that he cared about this thing, like, we just put everything behind him. They became, like, super supportive and, like, doing whatever they can to make him succeed. And, like, his dad following him around the course, like, just, like, on pins and needles with whatever his son did. And, like, did he go in the water? Did he go in the water? Like, that was 
inject that into my fucking veins. Um, and it felt like they just that could have been much better served earlier into the the season when we didn't know what the result of that waste management was with Scotty winning it in the second episode. Like that just seemed like poor placement of the episode generally. And then on the Mito and with, side, and with JT at the fucking PGA Championship, like it would have served for both of those finishes. Right. I I, I was gonna get to that with the Mito section. Um. The, I mean, the, I think the main thing that was really compelling about Mito's thing too is that like he found community on the tour with these other Latin American guys and like their whole upbringing through like the Latin American amateur ranks and like his falling off from him, like him finding like family and community through there and like him and his wife having their dynamic and her being like the dad. And like you could have almost made the episode not through the player's lens, but almost through like the spouse and, spouse and parents' lens and like showing them like their investment and like how important it is to see them break out and succeed. And watching them both sort of collapse and like that being the first thing that you learn about those events and yet not getting the spoiler of who the winners were would have been, I think a really more powerful um, beginning to the season. So I think if this episode was handled a little bit differently, it could have been like a four and a half. And if it was at the beginning, but I think because of its placement and the way they kind of execute some of this, I also would give it probably a three, three and a half um, middle of the road episode as well. Um, that gets us to the last episode, episode eight. Everything has led to this. This is kind of the shoehorn last episode, uh, with Rory McElroy following his kind of, you know, season through the, the full swing from, you know, they didn't cover everything with the majors, but a lot of it is kind of dual with cam at the open. Um, some of his relationship with tiger a bit, the tour championship his kind of like ambassadorship for the PGA tour and the uh, game of golf broadly. Um, I think, you know, this was obviously a last minute addition. They didn't actually get him onto the Netflix show until um, August. Like he didn't, he basically just filmed all of his post-production stuff right after we had, you know, a conversation with Chad Munn and they ended up kind of putting together. Um, generally speaking, uh, I think this definitely felt like it was an episode that was, had Rory's thumb kind of on it a little bit. It, it felt like he kind of, kind of had a lot of the influence of where this episode would go and what it would cover. It felt like we watched an episode about Rory the ambassador, not Rory the player. But uh, I'd love to get y'all's thoughts on this last episode as it kind of was the bookend for the series and kind of setting the stage for the, the, the more seasons to come. Ryan? Yeah, um, I thought it was really interesting. Um, you Like you said, it felt like Rory kind of said, like, yeah, I'll come do it, but here's what I want to talk about. We're going to... Like we can touch on the open, but not let's not dive way too deep into that. Like let, let's lean more into the FedEx Cup part of this and the ambassador and me versus Liv. Um, I did feel like when I was watching it, I, I was like, we're in an alternate reality. Like Rory should have won the open. That's what golf deserved. Like it reliving all of that. I was like, damn it, we were so close to having that. Um, was my big thought the whole time and then you could tell he was really leaning in towards the end where he was like yeah i'm on this dock like where he says fuck you phil at the end and it's the boys getting the massage just like yeah he knows exactly what he's doing like this is he's gonna maybe kind of weaponize this thing a little bit and and be like the big dog on top that isn't afraid to throw a few punches so i thought it was it was fun it was good but like not mind blowing as an episode, if that makes sense. So, at three stars, probably. 
Dave? Yeah, um, it definitely gave the feel of someone that got an episode of signing in August. Like, there was nothing about the Canadian Open. He won that. Um, they, like y'all mentioned, they hardly touched on the Open, really. I understand that's a defeat, but there was a lot of sentimental stuff. Like, him and Tiger, when Tiger was finishing up, debatably his last round at the at St. Andrews at the Open Championship and Rory starting his round kind of passing the torch I feel like they could have gone into more depth there um and that might just be a golf sicko kind of perspective but I feel like there's definitely something there they could have touched on um and yeah, they just randomly bring in the FedEx Cup and stuff. I feel like, and he randomly it's like brings up how it's like a major and how it means all this and stuff. And it's like, man, it feels so just pushed in there, and it doesn't feel genuine at all. And uh, you know, I I think it was fine. I think it served the purpose they wanted it wanted it to serve but I don't feel like they told the story well at all. I feel like Rory did genuinely more than they conveyed for the PGA tour during that time. And they didn't really touch on that. Um, but honestly, one of the biggest takeaways for me of the episode was after he won the tour championship and he looks at his phone and he says, he's always the first. And it's fucking Tiger who texts him, like, congratulations or whatever it is. And it just shows that he is still that fucking 13-year-old, 14-year-old guy and is just so looking forward to seeing that his childhood hero is stoked to see him win. And you could genuinely see how happy he was seeing that, and that was dope. I thought that part was awesome. That that really like yeah, it, it was so cool. But but yeah, I'll give that one a three. Right on, Clint. You're you're muted right now. We can't hear you. There we go. Um. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Uh, I thought I thought the episode was decent. Um. You know, I think that the fact of talking about the FedEx Cup and and that not being kind of a um that not being a a major portion of of this altogether, I think was a missed opportunity there. I think looking back, I think they should have spent the first ten minutes of this series altogether being like, "Hey." This is golf. This is how a tournament's played. This is the tournament span for the season. These are the four majors, and everything all comes down to the end of the season of the FedEx Cup. And then it's like, here we go. Um, and then, you know, whether they went off that, I think, kid, you were spot on by saying that they should have started with the rookie side of things. Um, and And that would have been a good segue into – you know, kind of introducing people into to that whole side of things. But um, outside of all of that, uh, yeah, I, you know, I've always liked Cam Smith. Uh, and so 
even I thought that it was rough watching Rory, you know, miss that opportunity, um, especially since St. Andrews is so near and dear to him. Um, I, I think that that was, I think that he'll look back on that for the entirety of his career. Like that was the one that got away. Um, and especially be pretty butthurt that it was the Cam Smith who then went to live. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a little bit uh, there that's a little bit heart wrenching for, for him and, and just for people that they can level with that. Um, but overall, I, I mean, the episode, I think like, like it was already discussed. I mean, I think that they missed out on kind of talking a little bit more about FedEx Cup and, and how big of a deal that actually is. And, um, you know, that was another one that was rough to watch. Uh, I felt for, even though, you know, Rory got a win out of it, um, I have I felt for Scheffler falling apart at the end of that round. Um, that was kind of like watching Mito all over again. It was just like them losing those tournaments was was brutal to watch over again I mean once again watched them live and it was just like holy shit um but um overall yeah I I think it was a a semi lackluster into it um but I did think it was an awesome touch you know right there at the very very end where he's in the locker room and he just it's all drinking in and sinking in and he you know, first first thing that he sees on his phone is like, man, he's always the first. Um, yeah. It's like he – I think he even said something to the extent of like, I think he sends it literally before I sink my last putt or it's something to that extent. In, yeah. yeah, before the putt goes in. Yeah, um, which is cool. I mean, it's just one of those things that, number one, like good on Tiger. Uh, and I think that um, that is just – part of him trying to make sure that Rory takes the torch and carries on the legacy that, that he's, you know, cemented in place, if you will. Um, I think that that, it just kind of goes to show um, how much Tiger leans on Rory to be the next guy that that has that voice for the league and has that voice for the PGA and keeps that going for the sport of golf you know um so I think that that was kind of a cool little end to it um overall the the episode as a whole I think was a tad bit lacking so I'd I'd probably give it a three five but um yeah yeah um it's no surprised that I'm a big Rory guy here so this I had high hopes for this episode even though I knew it was pretty last minute um honestly got a very similar vibe from Rory as I did kind of the other guys that had a very conscious idea of how they want to portray themselves in the series whether it was what Poulter was trying to do or was with Spieth and JT or Colin Morikawa it felt like he really handpicked the way that he wanted to talk about things and that's nothing you shouldn't expect from Rory he's very you know he thinks through, he thinks things through and their impact and how they can affect things. And you could feel that from his, his kind of episode, but at the same time, like, I don't know if he's the right arbiter of his story to a degree with these sorts of things, because he's going to want to shy away from some of these things. And at the end of the day, I doubt he got final cut on these things, but you could definitely feel that the Netflix crew didn't want to kind of, you know, ever lose their access to Rory in the future 
So they're not going to put him into a, a less than ideal situation for his kind of image. And I think that actually led to the episode not being as strong. I think you could have had a lot more heartbreak from the open. I think you could have really dug into all of his near misses at majors. I mean, he got so low second at the Masters. He was in the hunt the first two days leading the PGA Championship. He was in the hunt at the U.S. Open. He was right there at St. Andrews until his collapse. Like he was there all year long, constantly a you know, um, you know, at the top of the leaderboard, threatening to knock off one of those big ones. When he in the episode says like it's trying, it's like him trying to win his first one again, which is a massive thing for Rory McIlroy to say when it's been eight years since he's made one of these, like make that the story, like him trying to get it done. And it ends with him winning the pinnacle thing that he's been carrying the water for, for a year. Like all the things that he really wants from professional golf is a major again, you know, especially the masters, especially the whole Holy grail at the open. But instead he spends the entire year carrying water for the tour, being their ambassador, defending the tour, keeping them afloat. And he gets rewarded with their crown trophy at the end of the season, which is, poetic because he's doing something he needs to for the survival of the sport but him personally doesn't get what he actually wants deep down which is like the catharsis you probably would want to have seen from this episode but that is the kind of thing that maybe doesn't let rory come back again or he won't want to come back if that's the story that you portray but that's that to me is what you really want to dig into with that episode and they didn't do that one because of what i've mentioned so far but two like they also try to do so much more with this they shoehorn the best cup into it they shoehorn a bunch of live stuff into it like if we want to get an episode about Rory the golfer and untap some of the emotion that we saw with him, like at the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits, like where was that Rory? That's the one that would make the world right. fall in love with them. Like people love Rory. Like I am no exception to that, but like the Rory that would really become like the beloved child of golf going forward and like truly take the baton from Tiger, who he clearly seems to pick Rory as the guy, the text kind of being an indicator of that at the end of the season. Like there was so much opportunity and potential from this episode that just wasn't there and maybe that means that rory needs like his own documentary that they dig into for that but it felt like they were given the green light to try and they didn't go for it and they shot away for a long-term strategy to keep rory around and as a result i think this episode could have been a five it could have been a goddamn seven but it ended up for me being probably a three and a half three um because of what could have been yeah and i think that that you know, because of how you wished it played out, I think it just still goes to the fact that this series probably would have been better if it was done tournament by tournament or, you know, um, like in a chronological way to where it's like, hey, we're at yeah, the first I, of the season yeah. and, and you can then you can play into who is in the hunt on those. Rory, and Rory then, would have been a staple of every single major <laughs> Like he would have been in like four of the episodes. Like he would have been a namestay throughout the whole series. And instead you try to fucking shoehorn him in at the end and try to bring all this other shit into it. And that's not, uh, yeah, it just, it, the, the whole timeline of the series was done incorrectly. In my opinion, I think it served the overall purpose they were looking for to bring golf to the more broad spectrum of people. But I think it could have been done better. And I, you know, I have good hopes for the next season. I'm sure they'll, you know, get better, I would imagine. But uh, I think it should be more as uh, just kind of how the season unfolds instead of going into it with some like idea of how you want it to go. Instead, just let it 
you know, blossom into something. Yeah, I, I think it was a byproduct of one, Rory didn't give them access to him the entire season. And so it was shoehorned in the end because he didn't jump in until the end. So that's a tough kind of thing to bounce back from for sure. And these things take time to make. And if you only get on board in August and they have to probably have final cut finish before like the end of like November or something crazy like that, like they uh, they had a lot of work to do for sure. And so I, I kind of understand the series on that level. Um, but I also understand that like, if you were to take a tournament by tournament approach to the series, well, I think coherent for all of us that know all the ins and outs of how the ebbs and flows of the season will work, you would lose lose the catharsis and the emotional connection that Dave you felt with the Tony Fino episode, or some of us felt with the Joel Damon episode, because they would probably only get five ten minutes an episode here and there throughout the series, and it'd be hard to deep dive into a personal story without that kind of annual kind of through line throughout the whole timeline. They just, I feel like well, they that's where comedy. maybe like you were saying, making it 12, 30 minute episodes would work better because you could do almost both in that, in that setting, you know, you can dive a little deeper into a Joel Damon doing well at the U S open and go into the qualifying at the U S open qualifiers and stuff like that and go into his, you know, heartfelt backstory and you know maybe make that two episodes or something whenever there's an opportunity for a good backstory you make that two episodes instead of one kind of situation but well you know as a whole i think the series probably accomplished what they wanted it to i think there's stuff that we all probably think they could have improved upon things that we liked a lot now after going through all the episodes general star rating for the entire series as a whole what do you guys think I'll give it a three and a half. I think I'm right there with you. I, I think maybe like 3.75, we're bringing quarter stars in. Like three and a half, three, 3.75, right in that, between three and four. I, I liked it a lot. I think there's definitely room for improvement, but enjoyed it. Would definitely watch another season of it and looking forward to doing that. Yeah, I think uh, I think I fall into a pretty – uh similar i think i could i could almost give it a four um maybe almost i i would teeter between three and a half and four i mean it's um to the points that we've already pointed out i mean i i just think that you know there was there was stuff left on the table there was things that they could have done differently um which i think could have made it great and made it amazing um but I, I think overall they still did a, a good job. I guess uh, Chad Ham or, or whoever it was, I think, you know, I think overall it, it was, it was well done. Um, but I'll be interested to see um, what they take out of this and hopefully turn the next season into. And, and maybe, you know, I don't know if, if there'll be podcasts out there, um, that they can listen to, but I mean, uh, hopefully there's, there's something that, um, that they listen to before they, they fully edit whatever, whatever comes out next. We'll send them a link. Yeah. 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 I'm going to send this to Chad directly. There's certainly no shortage of critiques and feedback on the web. They, they definitely have, <laughs> they're definitely seeing it. Um, I think for the most part though, um, probably for what they were going after the, the season was, was a success for, for Netflix and for what they were trying to do. 
it's impossible to know the ratings without Netflix saying anything, but I think with it being possibly forced onto it, but it being top four on the top 10 list on Netflix is a, is a win. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if there creates any sort of bump uh, for this, like it did for F1. I think the major downside for that is that F1's product is way better than PJ Tour's product. Um, <laughs> so you go from a, a Netflix series that is light on the golf and, and more heavy on the personal stories to a product that is heavier on the commercials and a little bit of golf and no personal insight really. Um, makes for a tough translation from yeah. from series to products. So it might lead to more golfers, but uh, I don't know if it's going to lead to a lot more PGA Tour viewers. Um, but for me, I think the series came out right around the same mark as you guys. Three and a half stars, I think lots of room for improvement. But given they were probably handed too much content to deal with and too many storylines and too much stuff to, to juggle, um, they did an admirable job for the first time around. I think that's fair. Well, boys, it was a fun episode. It's always good to get a nice little chat in with you boys when it regards to golf. Always fun. Anyone who's still listening, thank you for listening. We really do appreciate it. And uh, I hope everyone has a good rest of your night or day. And uh, we'll see you next time.